The Angsty Christian Podcast is a mature show that deep dives into the problematic aspects of the modern church. Some content might not be suitable for all listeners. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. to test the mic yeah, yeah. To test the mic. anyways what is up our dudes dudettes and dude betweens as jake said last episode <laughs> love that I, I absolutely love that phrase it is pretty great um you you know what you're listening to you you hit play you you saw it so you know that you're listening to another episode of the angsty christian podcast um this is your new dad daniel um fun fact about me um so after what what was it like Four months of us trying to go to Disneyland? Uh, it, it was a couple months. A while. Yeah, it was a while. A while, because COVID kept getting in the way literally every time. True. Um, we finally went to Disneyland, and I accidentally, unintentionally bullied Jake. Mm. <laughs> accidentally, unintendedly, all with quotation marks around it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should tell the story. I think you yeah. should. I mean, Don't. yes, tell the story. Okay, I wanted your permission first, Jake. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was a long day, a hot day, a tiring day. Mm-hmm. And so we relieved ourselves next to, Toon, into, next to where Toontown is, but Toontown was closed. And when we go in, I didn't know Jake came in behind me. Um, but, you know, I, I did my business. I, you know, peed and then was washing my hands. And some other person walks up behind and they're going, they're using the urinal too. And they let out a massive fart. Like it was a saw. Like if I was going to rate it on a scale of one to 10, like it was, it was a good eight. It could have been better. No, actually I'd say like a good nine. It was, it was almost the perfect fart. And I instinctually just went nice. And every other guy in the bathroom, and it was a pretty full bathroom, started busting up laughing and also all said, bro, that was awesome. And saying really nice. And I looked behind me after I said nice and I saw that it was Jake. And I immediately felt bad. Yup. <laughs> yup. That, that is honestly like one of my biggest fears actualized. <laughs> and honestly... Uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was perfectly timed, and uh, now I'm no longer afraid of letting one loose while I'm in the comfort of the public bathroom. Uh, speaking of my voice, hey everyone, <laughs> uh, it's it's me, it's Jake, your favorite dude between. Uh, fun fact about me, um, I guess, is that Daniel made some good bread. And he cut me off a large slice. He's like, you don't have to eat the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I probably won't because we're going to go get sushi later. I don't want to stuff myself. Uh, I ate the whole thing. Yeah, it was homemade discard bread, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was good bread. It was good bread. Good bread. Mm-hmm. Good bread. 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 <laughs> well, hi, I'm Bonnie, and I am existing. Um, a fun fact about me. Yeah, <laughs> A fun fact about me is that since we last recorded, oh, I have spent 
around a hundred dollars on merch for a certain gay pirate show. Oh god, yes. That if you're gay, you've probably watched by now, and if you haven't, what the fuck are you doing with your life? I just finished it today. I got decently far in. I've got the first few episodes into that certain gay pirate show. Uh, Our Flag Means Death, I believe, is the name of it. Yeah, no, we're talking about One Piece. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's... <laughs> Our flag means death is for the people who are actually gay. No, One Piece is people that we call gay derogatorily. Like me when I was in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they were part right. Yeah. I, that's okay. No, no, no. It's not okay to um, call people gay derogatorily. However, it is okay to make fun of One Piece fans. Yeah, you can make fun of me all you want. I don't give a shit. <laughs> You would watch One Piece. I don't still watch One Piece. <laughs> but I did spend a summer in college catching up, and it was like 300 episodes. It's intense. I'm, yeah. I don't have the mental or emotional energy for that show. But I will, again, cry over gay pirates. Yeah. There you go. So, Bonnie, which is your favorite uh, gay pirates shirt or piece of merch that you got? Mm. I did get the Team Edward Blackbeard shirt that went viral on TikTok, and I love that one, but honestly, my favorite is I got a sticker of two of the gay pirates in question um, that said, and they were (laughs) co-captains. It's so good. It's so, when I got to that part, I, I, I laughed my ass off. It was so good. Oh, man. If you haven't watched Our Flag Means Death, I don't care if you're gay, straight, whatever, go watch it. It's a good show. Get HBO Max. It's worth it. Honestly, HBO Max and Hulu are the two that I watch most exclusively. Netflix kind of sucks at this point. If it I, has Shrek yeah. and that's it. I own all the Shreks. They're all right there. I don't need. I don't even need Netflix anymore. There you go. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, Netflix has some good stuff, but like a lot of their shows, like, like the Marvel ones, they're all on Disney Plus now. Yeah, uh-huh. Disney so Plus like, is pretty good too. Yeah, oh, and then Disney Plus is obviously, you know, Moon Knight. As of recording uh, this part, so recorded the interview that you guys will hear soon, and you already know who the interview is, uh, probably. Um, that we recorded last week, but this week we recorded the day after the last episode of Moon Knight came out, and the last episode kind of sucked. Haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm not going to talk Me more into it. Me neither. <laughs> I'm not talking more into it, I'm just saying keep your expectations very low. <laughs> it was yeah. disappointing. <laughs> I mean, it has Oscar Isaac in it, so at the yes. very least, eye candy. So, I, what I will say, it was, I, I loved the episode up and just until the end. The, the end was okay. like, it wasn't what I was hoping for, nor expecting, and I looked up many different, like, subreddits and, and articles, everyone else is saying the same thing. Like, this is, they, they, this is not what we were all hoping and anticipating, especially since it comes out right before Doctor Strange, which comes out as of tonight, which by the time that this episode releases, we will all have seen it. And so, um, future Daniel, Jake, Bonnie, uh, was it good? Please, tell us. Okay. Um, I, I can't talk to my future self yet. We have to wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah okay. We have, have to wait for the time to come. Yeah, we have to wait for yeah, the yeah. time to be right. Yeah, the time is now. I still what? can't talk to my future <laughs> self, Daniel. <No. laughs> 
Are, are you saying that we are going to be jump cutting to like us in the future? No. Like I'm going to send you a voice recording over the phone saying, yeah, it fucking sucks. Because you probably will. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's do separate voice takes so that I will just text Daniel my response and he could use either one. Here's, here's my first one. Wow, that was great. Here's my second one. Wow, what a disappointment. <laughs> and then the third one, just for just for fun. The fuck? You can use any of those three and just splice it up in, in post, which I know you're definitely going to do and not just keep this entire bit in. No, I won't understand not taking any of this out. This is all staying. <laughs> I am literally crying. <laughs> Holy shit, that was funny. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Anyways, um, yeah, go watch Our Flag Means Death. Go watch Doctor Strange, I guess. I don't fucking know. We're not sponsored by either, unless. Um, but uh, we're going to head into our interview segment in just a moment. Um, I do want to quickly mention that when we do talk with our interview guest, who is Joe Lumen, um, who many of you may know, um, she has her own podcast. I think it's called like At the Table or something like that. Um, <clears throat> Joe also runs a, I mean, her Instagram, Twitter, TikTok is pretty great and it's ripe with a bunch of decolonization and uh, like information. Uh, so she's really great. So I highly suggest if you can support her. Um, she, has a Patreon that you can support. You don't get anything extra out of it um, because, well, you shouldn't. It's for people who would like to be able to support her um, and all that stuff. But um, we do mention uh, talks of a situation that we were going to put in the fucking news section. But, you know, since we recorded, some pretty big stuff has happened. And so we're going to talk about that instead. Yeah. And so we're going to just, I'm just going to briefly mention um, what we discussed so that you know going into it. Um, because I did do this in collaboration with, uh, well, not, well, yeah, yeah, collaboration with Joe Lumen. Um, and so I'll also put the article that I, I will be talking about in the uh, show notes. But um, one of my, so, for those of you who don't know, went to Azusa Pacific University, and I studied youth ministry, so I was part of the practical theology department. And um, as of recording this podcast, I think about a month ago now, um, one of the professors, whose name is Jennifer Buck, um, she decided to write a book. Now, Jennifer Buck is a um, white feminist uh, professor. She teaches a lot about women in ministry. And she's been a really big advocate to women who are going into ministry, which is great. Um, when I knew her, um, she didn't seem very open to discussion with me um, about various things, which is okay. I get it. Um, but also, it just I'm going to be real and, and say that she wasn't really open. I was corrected by a professor recently that she has changed and grown a lot, which is phenomenal. However, she got a um, grant from Harvard University to write a book about what is called black feminist, uh, black trap feminism, um, but looking at it through the lens of theology. So creating black trap feminist or trap feminist theology. Um, and when her book came out, which was called Bad and Bougie, um, it featured prominently a black woman. Um, why? Well, you can read the first page of her book. Just go to go deep down into Joe Lumen's 
uh, Twitter and you'll find the first page and it is honestly I read it and it was it was horrific um, and I was very disappointed so um, in discussions with a friend of mine Camille and with Joe uh, with Sasali Bowen who was the uh, person who coined the phrase trap feminism and other a former APU students um, I kind of decided uh, how I could be able to help and be a voice for some people or be able to um, you know whatever all that stuff and uh, Camille and Joe both mentioned writing an open letter. And so I did write an open letter uh, to Zusa Pacific University and the School of Practical Theology asking essentially, what the fuck? Because as you would imagine, a white woman writing about black feminism, um, it's kind of, uh, kind of sketchy. You know, like she's white writing about an experience that she has not had. And granted, she did her research and all that stuff. But, um, Point being, I wrote a lot of stuff in that article that you can find more information on. We're not going to go too much into this. Um, Joe Lumen does touch upon it a little bit. Um, and also you can look on Joe's um, Instagram. She has a highlight story of conversations that we that she had with Joe Lumen, or sorry, with Jennifer Buck. Um, and you can kind of see some of the um, inherent racism uh, or lack of anti-racism within what Jen Buck was saying. In addition to also another... Uh, portion which we're going to go into which is about the whole God is gray or uh, Brenda Davis right yeah Brenda Davis um, information so you can find out kind of what happened there if you are interested this would be a good time if you wanted to you can pause and you can look at it that one does take a while to go through um, I will be honest but it is worth looking through just so it helps me learn more and helped me grow as an individual can't speak for others but it did help me going through it so yeah Anything else where we're going? Read uh, Daniel's open letter, too. I don't know if there's going to be a link to it or anything, but... Yeah, uh, I'll put a link to it. Yeah. Uh, read that open letter, because it's a really, really uh, good letter that was written. Thanks, Jake. It was hard to write, in all honesty. It's kind of scary. But you, I did it. But you did it, and the world should know about it. Thank you. All right. Here it comes. The, the interview with Joe Lumen. That's what's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. everyone and for a special treat for all of you and us uh sitting on this zoom call uh we have the very lovely the very talented joe lumen with us uh <laughs> we've all been uh following her on twitter uh what listening to her podcast and all the all the good stuff that she has to say so we're very very excited to have her on today uh welcome on to uh the angsty christian podcast joe <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to have a conversation with you all. I know we've been waiting and talking for a while, so this is definitely a good uh, a good thing that's finally happening. Super happy. I know that a lot has been happening in <laughs> the sphere that we all kind of collide in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's always a lot happening with a lot of people that have a lot of trauma. That's, definitely. We, we keep it. We keep it fun. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know yeah i like that i like that we keep it fun i like to say that when someone's like oh how are you so fine like it's it's the trauma it's yeah. you know <laughs> yeah yeah you know how people say that their sense of humor like they are scared that if they heal their trauma their sense of humor will go with it it's it's the same you know if we heal too much of these religious trauma we might just lose our sense of humor and we cannot have that so you hear that everyone don't go to therapy <laughs> Yes, says the guy exactly. who's going to be a therapist don't go to therapy <laughs> all right hold on let me cancel real quick <laughs> saving you thousands here yeah. <laughs> in the name of comedy excellent all to be funny yeah. well joe i think it would just be great um for people who don't know you for people who this may be their first interaction with you or people who have maybe just started following you um kind of what who are you? What do you do? Like kind of what's been your experience with um, the modern church? Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm Colombian. I was born and raised in Colombia and I went to school there, got my university degree there, my bachelor's. And then it's different in Colombia than here, but it was uh, for all intents and purposes, a bachelor's. And then I moved here to get my master's degree to the U.S. And I got my master's degree in ministry and theology at Point Loma Nazarene. And um, I was working at a church at the time. I also was an intern first at another church. So I interned at a church for two years and was taking classes through Oral Roberts University, uh, working pretty much over well over full time as an intern. And then moved to another church to help plant this new church here in San Diego and started going to Point Loma too. And um, I spent 10 years building this church and doing this work with this team of people. And they, I just kept growing uncomfortable in all of it. Um, there were so many questions that I had, so much discomfort that I had. I didn't understand why we were spending the money that we were spending on the, in the ways that we were spending it. Um, I didn't understand why we kept talking about how much we helped people and how important this work was, which I believed it was, but I didn't see necessarily how we were really impacting people's lives and how we had so much potential to be able to offer more healthy communities, to be able to offer support in so many other ways. And I just didn't see it. Um, so I kept asking questions at staff meetings and every time I had a chance and I would get in trouble a lot and people would roll their eyes at me a lot. Um, and I've, I've been writing about a lot of these experiences lately and just remembering how I always felt so inadequate in these spaces. I always felt like I had to um, behave in certain ways and I had to be a certain way in order to be able to minimize the amount of mockery, the amount of pushback, the amount of all of the ways in which I was being harmed, the amount of times that I was hearing, you're just immature, you just don't get it. It's because you're an immigrant. Um, all of those things that I, at the time, I couldn't recognize that they were really uh, microaggressions, uh, but now I know. <laughs> so um, it, I was just really uncomfortable and I didn't have the language or the knowledge to understand that the reason my discomfort was there is because of the amount of cognitive dissonance that is necessary in order to be able to exist in these spaces where you're hearing this is the most important work that you could ever do. And this is so important that we save people from hell, but you are not helping them really. You're spending money on lights and there are pastors who are getting paid thousands of dollars while you are volunteering your time or getting paid a really little amount. And you know the amount of cognitive dissonance required doesn't allow for you to even recognize the ways in which you are being abused and the ways in which uh, you are gaslighting yourself. And so I left after after a lot of things, I left. The first time I tried leaving, the pastor said I had a prophetic word over me. And he said that my husband and I were like 
uh, we're going to be like Abraham and Sarah, and we were about to birth an Ishmael that God would reject. Uh, and he's like, I don't think that you're supposed to leave the church. I think that's what it means. And we stayed. Um, and every time that we wanted to leave, he would come up with something until it, it, we just couldn't do it anymore. I was on the, I, I was, yeah, on the verge of suicide, to be honest. I was imagining like how I could die in many ways. I felt like I was claustrophobic. I felt like somebody was choking me at all times. I hated going to church. I hated going to staff meetings. I hated, and, and the whole time convincing myself that the problem was sin, that a sin, hidden sin that I couldn't find, the problem that I was too prideful, the problem was that I was, the problem was me, always me. Uh, and I remember thinking, I think God hates me. Like this God hates me because it's all the time teaching me lessons. And it wasn't that God was teaching me lessons all the time. It was that I was in a toxic space where I was being abused at all times. And they were calling that abuse lessons from God. And so I left and it took, I took two years off everything. My husband and I became Uber drivers for two years. We didn't become leaders. I don't know nothing. We just needed to heal. So we took two years to heal. In that time, I went to Turkey uh, because I've always wanted to go to Turkey. And we spent some time there and, and met a lot of Muslim people that were beautiful and made me change a lot of my mind on Islam. And then I realized, wait, if I can change my mind on Islam and I've been lied about Islam and all of these things that I was told about these people, then what else am I, what else did they lie to me about? And I started also, I was, I had always studied the Bible a lot, but I started studying the Bible a lot more and I wanted to study it from different perspectives that were not Christian perspectives. So I started studying from Jewish perspectives and I started studying from liberation theology and black theology and womanist theology and mujerista theology and all of these different theologies that were so different for me and so good too. Uh, and in college, uh, when I was getting my master's, we looked at some of these things, but I looked at it with suspicion. And yet they were kind of making my brain turn in ways that were different. But I looked at it with suspicion. This time I wanted to look at it with curiosity. And uh, it changed everything. It just, it changed everything. And I started recognizing systems of oppression. I studied a lot about neuroscience, neurobiology, trauma, systems of oppression, uh, and then connecting all of the dots of how Christianity has been used as a weapon of oppression and has been used as a weapon to traumatize people, groom them, uh, in order for them to accept and tolerate the ways in which they are treated in the world. And yeah, and I was kind of outraged by that. And I still am outraged by that. And so I started talking about it more publicly, and I haven't stopped. And so that's what I do. I, I am outraged. And I believe that it is good outrage. And until people stop abusing people uh, in the name of Christianity, I will not stop being outraged. And I think that that's good. Yeah, there was a lot of really good stuff <laughs> in that. I really like that, that. That last point was so good of I am outraged and I believe it is good um, yeah. and that you won't stop being outraged until oppression stops. Um, or, or oppression in the name of, of, of God or Christianity, yeah. really. Well, really, all, all oppression, because if I stop being yeah. outraged to, by the church, I'll still be outraged by the systems at mm -hmm. hand. Uh, I just won't be outraged yeah. at the church, too. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it seems like right now the major oppressive system that exists, at least in the United States, but I would say it's affected the entire world, you know, or it's, you know, we wouldn't be having. America be colonized is, you know, the United is uh, not, sorry, not the United States, <laughs> Christianity, like yeah. Christianity since a long time, you're right. Like really from 1700 least, years. Yeah. 1700 years has been, um, the oppressive force 
Um, but I wanted to, to kind of go back to you. You were talking about how um, you um, you minimize your own abuse and were gaslighting yourself, um, and how you know, like you you kept thinking, and I, I can relate a lot to it. That you know, God hates me, or God is just teaching me something, and it's just the church kind of just trying to gaslight you um, and bypass <laughs> what they're doing um, yeah. to say like, oh, it's all you, it's all you. But then once you started looking with a lens of curiosity, not suspicion, um, that you began to learn so much. Um, yeah. And like, w can you can you expand a bit more on that? I think that's very important. I, I know for myself, I've, I've began um, doing that a lot as well and looking a lot more into Buddhism um, and looking more into some of the other groups that are, that exist out there that are, you know, humanists, secular humanists, or that are just doing good work. And I'm like, you know, I look at the satanic temple, for example, if yeah. they have the name Satan, which I was told all Satanists worship Satan. And then I've talked to actual Satanists and like, no, we don't believe Satan is real. And they're doing these things and look at them like you're, you're doing what the Bible says we should be doing. Right. Better right. than what the people, you know, so just how, can you expand more on your own journey with that? And how can people who may be listening right now um, begin that journey for themselves? Yeah. So there were two aspects of this journey. The first aspect was recognizing abuse. I needed to, like, I started reading about what abuse was, about intimidation, uh, about narcissistic personality disorders, about these different ways in which people that tend to behave in narcissistic ways, um, like what they do, their tactics. Because it's it, if one thing is true about oppression and oppressive ways is that they are not inventive. It's the same thing, you know, over and over and over again. And so I started reading and I started recognizing a lot of the behaviors that I saw in my relationship to a lot of the leaders at the church. But then there was also the other aspect of that. It was the healing aspect of that. And it was the asking the important question of what are the things that I believe? What is the trauma that I carry? What are the um, societal conditionings? What are the insecurities that I carry that allowed for me to be a perfect target for somebody to abuse her? Uh, and not that I was blaming myself for the abuse. I just wanted to know so that it didn't happen again. I wanted to know what were my insecurities so that I could address them, heal from them, and then I didn't become an easy target. And there is something that happens in regards to the quantum field, right? And people talk about manifesting. And I don't believe in manifesting, but I do believe in the quantum field because it's actually proven. Um, and the things that your brain thinks about you are things that you end up attracting, not because of this like magical thing, like, like they talk about manifesting, it's this magical thing, when most of the times it's just privilege. But it's because you think that that's what you deserve. You think that that's what you need. And also your brain finds a level of safety in finding these patterns of behavior that you have had your whole life. So I had to go back and address my relationship with my grandparents and with my parents and address what are the ways in which I uh, was conditioned in which I was raised that made me believe that I have to tolerate abuse, that made me believe that I have to work so hard in order to be able to be found acceptable, in order to be able to be found worthy of love and care. Uh, because the reason I worked so hard at the church and I volunteered hours and hours was not because I was a good little Christian. And to pretend that that's the case is to miss the reality that I was actually also using the church in order to appease my own trauma. 
because I was working really hard so that they would clap for me and so that they would tell me like, you're amazing. You do such a good job. Um, the Lord is so proud of you, Joe. And that made me feel better about myself. It appeased at some deep level, all of my insecurities and all of the, the, the negative beliefs and the incorrect beliefs that my trauma had given to me. And I recognized that a lot of the mm. behaviors of my leaders inside of the church were very similar to the behaviors of my mom when I was growing up. My mom was an authoritative mm. mom. And, um, you know, she was doing the best she could with the tools she had. And she was very authoritative. And I, I got spanked when I was a little girl. There was no room for mistakes. I was expected to bring straight A's. I was also the oldest and my parents got divorced. And all of that is trauma that has started yeah. to shape the way in which I saw myself, in which I saw my worth. My parents got divorced and my, my little child, I was three years old when they got divorced. And I learned later on through doing a lot of therapy and a lot of trauma. And I don't do formal therapy, but this decolonized type of therapy. Um, and having these conversations, I learned that when they got divorced, my brain locked that as if you didn't exist, they would still be together because of the negative biases that we have about divorce. Like divorce is always negative. So I thought, oh, this is something bad that happened, even though I learned later as an adult that it was good. They were just not a good match. <laughs> and this was good for both of them. But in my little child brain, I thought, oh, I'm the only, I, I was one of two students that had divorced parents and I was looked down on because I had divorced parents. And so I logged that as, oh, that's my fault. And that made me show up in the world trying to prove my worth everywhere, not just my worth, but trying to prove to people that I was worth keeping around. And the way that I proved that I was worth keeping around by was working really hard, going above and beyond, doing extra being super intelligent. Uh, there is a reason I look the way I look every day. You know, there is a reason that people always tell me like, why do you look so nice every day? And I'm like, yeah, trauma, it's trauma. It's mostly trauma. Uh, because I felt like I had, you know, and, and now I kind of like it too. But there is also a level of trauma that makes me feel safer in the world, not just because of my parents, but also because of racial trauma, that it makes me feel better and safer in the world. If I look yeah. a certain way, it makes me feel better and safer in the world. So I started addressing all of those things and recognizing that I was the perfect candidate to be abused inside of a church. I was the perfect candidate for my own brain in a subconscious way to be finding a person that treated me like my mom treated me, a lot of authoritative, a lot of orders, a lot of this is what's expected of you, a lot of letting go of my agency and giving it to her my mom made decisions for me my whole life and uh, she didn't know how to give children like agency that didn't exist when we were growing up and so then I find this this pastor who is doing the exact same thing my agency is taken away uh, I don't have a voice I'm expected to just work I am told that I am immature I am told that I don't know what I'm doing I am told that they know better than me about me than them uh, yeah they know better about me than me uh, and so I started recognizing patterns in my own self too uh and listen i can't do anything about my pastor or my mom my mom and i actually have a great relationship and we've healed a lot of these things and she's been able to share with me her own childhood trauma and it's been great and that's awesome because she's my mom but that it didn't you know like i the pastor i'm sure has his own set of traumas and i can't do nothing about that but i could do something about mine i could do something to interrupt the gaslighting the self why did how did i learn to gaslight myself where did i learn that uh, because that's learned behavior. That's not my nor that's not normal. And I knew it wasn't normal when I started learning about what gaslighting is, what abuse is, what narcissistic personality disorder is. Uh, and so I started recognizing, oh, 
well, you have to participate. Boundaries do exist. Why is it so hard for me to set boundaries? I remember the first time I asked that. I was like, it's so hard for me to set boundaries because I feel like if I set a boundary, people are going to run away from me. They, they, they won't love me anymore. And why do I care so much that they love me? Why do I care so much that they accept of me? Because all of my acceptance, all of my love didn't come from within me. It came from outside of me. And I recognized and realized that until I learned to love myself, until I learned to accept of myself, I was going to continue in those cycles of relationships where I was being abused and where I was using people in order to appease my own trauma and using spaces too. Yeah, I can relate a lot to that. I think, you know, um, when I, when I was working or not working, practically working for free at a mega church here in Orange County, um, I remember there was a time where um, I was, my anger or frustration with the way churches were acting or Christians were acting, responding was invalidated. Um, I was told, you know, or like cussing um, was like, oh, you're, you know, you can't, you cuss too much. You can't have this leadership position. And, you know, like there, there's a lot of um, minimization of, you know, like you said, like a lot of us are acting out of trauma. We're I think many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us are victims to trauma or victims, good victims uh, for the church to, to attack um, or, or oppress in, in many ways um, just because of the way our society is. And uh, I, I've, I've read so many different people talk, just talk about how immature of a society or immature of a world we live in because we allow for a lot of that um, internalized gaslighting or really just like the... Um, inability to move out from beyond that ego sense of ourselves, which is the, you know, I want to be accepted. I want to fit in here. I want to mold myself into this um, so that these people will like me. Um, yeah. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing for yeah. so many of us. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the, uh, that's normal behavior for children, right? Yeah. It's, it's normal behavior for children because they are dependents, um, because without adults, they can actually not survive. So it's very normal, but that we have to grow out of that. And because of systems of oppression, I, I, I argue that all people in the West, at least I can only speak for the West, but all people in the West are traumatized in some way, shape or mm -hmm. form because of systems of oppression, because of the legacy of colonization. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about, you know, capitalism trauma. And how capitalism has taught us all that our worth is in how much is in our bank account, that our worth is in how hard we work and how much we work and how we are shifting and changing those mindsets right now. Uh, but for the longest time, we were considered to be lazy if we weren't working, especially if you were in a racially marginalized identity. If we didn't want to work which is if we didn't want to be exploited it's because you're lazy you're just lazy uh when that's not the truth and how our worth is well what are you what when people ask you so what do you do they are asking what job do you perform in the world that will determine the amount of respect that i'm going to give you mm -hmm. i can hear that question I can hear the difference between what do you do for work? I can hear the difference between I'm generally interested about what you do and versus I need to know what you do so that I can determine how much respect I will give you. Uh, yeah. And that traumatizes us all because it tells us that we are not safe unless we have this level of income, unless we have this type of job, unless we are doctors, lawyers, engineers, or something of the sort, because artists, what are they going to do, right? Um, and so we, we've, we've all learned a lot of things and we've been traumatized by capitalism, by patriarchy. Patriarchy tells us the stories about who we are too and about who women are and men are, about who LGBTQ people are. 
he tells us the stories that are inaccurate. And we've all been traumatized by those stories, all of us, in different ways. Because see, when I say everybody has been traumatized, they're like, yeah, but why, I'm sorry, men have been, uh, have benefited, sure. And also traumatized, both. You can have both. Um, and the same with white supremacy or all supremacy systems that tell us, you know, this is what acceptability looks like. And if you are outside of that acceptability, then you're, you're, a, you're a threat. You're treated like a threat and your safety is constantly being threatened. And so all of us in the West are really traumatized people <laughs> trying to navigate systems that keep on traumatizing. We're dealing with complex trauma every day and the church doesn't serve people in order to be able to heal and feel safe and instead the church a lot of the different expressions of the church in the west reinforce all of this societal trauma yeah yeah that's yeah uh <laughs> i have i have other questions um but jake bonnie uh do other of you have anything um yeah so as you've been like healing trauma and exploring curiously and like deconstructing. So how has that shifted your relationship with the church, um, your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself? Well, it's completely different. All three of those. Um, I don't go to church. I haven't gone to church, I think in six years, maybe. Uh, yeah. Something like that. And I tried you know, I tried, but my body was not having it. I would have panic attacks. Um, and then I rec I started learning about how if your body says no, just no. It's just no. Um, because consent are not things that we are taught at all, you know. And so I learned like, well, my body doesn't want to be here. So I don't, I don't have to be here. If I can control it, I don't have to be here because I don't have to. And so I stopped going to church, but then I decided that I was going to be the church. So I started building relationship, intentional relationship with everybody around me. Uh, I started building relationship with all my neighbors and I love them. There is like all these, like a really cool community of neighbors here. Most of them are older people and we just love them and they call my kids their grandbabies. And we, start, we, we got really, really involved in the school where our kids go. And so I, my husband is like, helps with the whole entire PE program and he loves it and all the kids call him coach Caleb and all the kids know him and then I joined the board and um, so we have the board and then I am the chair of the equity task force where we are having conversations about academics and about the ways in which the school is functioning to ensure that there is equity across the board uh, so we started just getting involved in the lives of the people that were around us we started building relationship with people around us and we decided that that was going to be being the church and part of that was also building some online communities and offering for online people offering a space where they could feel like they are seen they could feel like yep i understand religious abuse i understand religious trauma I, I i see you and it was not me as a leader and leading them it was more like yeah me too and we'll hug and figure it out together and i've been able to build like really wonderful relationships through that so i, I decided i'm just gonna be the church whatever the church meant to me which to me it meant generosity and camaraderie and you know support um in every possible way support and so i decided to become that and 
the people that wanted to become it for me were great. Even if they called it just my friends or my neighbors, whatever. And it's been really cool. So that's how my relationship with the church has changed. My relationship to God has changed too, just because of studying a lot, um, studying from different perspectives, studying theologies that come from different places. Um, so I don't believe in God as a being. Like I don't have this uh, anthropomorphic ideology of God. I don't believe that there is this being that looks like a super God, like a superman that is a God instead. Um, I do see divinity more in like the way I describe it is like the, the quantum field and in us and the earth. And there is, I can see divinity all throughout. And I was just talking to someone and I was telling them that the universe moves perfectly. Um, there is no mistake in the universe in spite of the chaos around it, but there's no mistake. Everything happens the way that it needs to happen. Everything is expanding at the rate that it needs to expand. If it moved just a little faster, we would not survive. And if it moved slower, we wouldn't either. Uh, and so everything is working perfectly. And the earth itself is working perfectly too. So the trees are like the root system of trees is an entire nervous system for the earth. Fungi communicate with one another in ways that are much more advanced than some human communication. And so the earth, like the waterways that we have are smart too. So we have a universe that is smart. We have an earth that is smart. We have bodies that are smart and know exactly what to do uh, with or without our conscious prompting. And somehow we figure out a way to look around and say, I wonder if there is any intelligent beings out there. When intelligence is looking at us, intelligence is touching us, intelligence is the reason that we are here. And so I don't believe in a God, but I see divinity everywhere. Um, and, and I cannot explain divinity because I don't think that you can. I don't think that you can just box divinity and say, this is what divinity is. And there is a, I love Eastern um, ideologies and Eastern theology too. And they talk a lot about the difference between the left brain and the right brain. And the left brain is the language center of, you know, your brain. And so it is in, it's the interpreter. It interprets what's happening and it has language for things. And the moment that you can give language and explain something, then it, it's a left brain thing. The right brain is more the spatial center. And the right brain, did I do the wrong one with my hands? Yeah, it doesn't matter. The right brain is the spatial part. And it's, it tells you, like, when, you, when I grab uh, uh, something without my without making a conscious effort that's my right brain but also the things that we cannot explain live in our right brain like that our intuition is more a right brain thing uh when you meet somebody and you know that they are lying to you or you know that they don't like you but they are looking at you and smiling but you know that's your right brain interpreting their behavior that is your mirror neurons watching them watching the little things that you cannot put into language and in the west in with colonized christianity we've been completely removed and told that everything that matters and this is a characteristic of white supremacy too what matters is what you can actually put into language the things that you can write about that's what matters then what matters is the things that you can quantify and qualify and explain and those are the truth that's the truth that's why they tell you that the word of god is the bible because they can quantify it they can read it they can look at it and so i tell them no the word of god is the christ which is nothing that they understand in what i'm talking about but i like to say it um the, the word of god is the christ which is really just divinity uh, divinity embodied in these different spaces and so 
when you say the word of God is the Christ, when you say the word of God is divinity, the word of God is observing the universe, the word of God is observing the earth, the word of God is observing your body, observing yourself, and seeing all the amazing ways in which it works. The word of God is the bending of time in the quantum field. The word of God is the reality that we are not 4D or 3D beings. We are much more than that. We just can't comprehend it. Um, you know, that, that's not quantifiable. I can't quantify the bending of time. I can't quantify the ways. And, and science is catching up to that. When I say that I heal, you know, we're healing. Uh, when I heal my own trauma, my descendants are going to have a different type of trauma too. I'm healing them too. And so we are able to see when they talked about generational sins, they were really talking about generational trauma being passed down. So we have better language. And yet, Divinity cannot be quantified. Divinity cannot be boxed. It cannot be explained with language. That's colonized uh, theories. That's colonized theology. That's, that's supremacist theology. I have the language, therefore I know better. When in reality, perhaps the wisest among us are indigenous you know, elders that cannot explain it to you, but demand that you live it out that you experience divinity and that's different. And so it changed, it changed everything. And I've experienced ways in which divinity is so present in my world and in my life. I've experienced divinity, but I can't quantify it quite well because it's impossible. And so what people in colonized Christianity think is, oh, therefore it's not real. No, it's very real. I just can't quantify it like you can. It's, it's very real. I fought with it like Jacob for reals I mean for reals but not for reals but so that's the relationship with divinity the relationship with the church and then the relationship with myself it's completely different too because I see myself as part of divinity I see myself as a vessel of divinity I see myself as a traumatized person that makes mistakes because of her trauma I meet myself with a lot of compassion I am gentle with myself a lot gentler I used to be so harsh with myself. I used to look at myself and be like, why, could you, why would you do that? Why did you lie? I, I used to lie a lot when I was a child because I was afraid of my mom. And I remember thinking that that was just a character flaw. And now I'm like, no, I lie because I don't feel safe. It's my incredible, brilliant brain keeping me protected. Because if I tell the truth, I think I'm going to get spanked. Um, and so what I need to ask is, why am I in an unsafe space? Why do I feel unsafe with this person that I can't tell them the truth? And I had that conversation with my husband recently. I said, I want to tell you some truths um and I'm afraid that you're gonna leave and you know what scares me the most is that you're my husband and I don't feel safe being my full self next to you there that means that you don't know me you know this version of me that you accept and I've played that version for you so that you'll accept me but I don't want to play that version anymore and I wonder if that'll cause you to leave me and that scares me but I can't keep betraying myself for your sake and so those are hard conversations, conversations I've had to have with my husband, with my dad, with my mom, with my sister, and with myself, where I tell her, I will not betray you again. And when I do betray me, because I do, um, I apologize. And I say, ah, I betrayed myself because I wanted to stay safe. I wanted to protect myself. So what are the places where I don't feel safe? And what can I do to ensure safety? And when I can't ensure safety, then lying was fine. There is no moral value to that. You know, like I lied to my doctor once because I didn't feel safe with them. So I lied to them and that's not bad. So I'm able to meet myself with more curiosity too and with more empathy and with more compassion. I don't see myself as this thing out there, but instead this thing inside that I'm unearthing that was, 
hidden underneath a lot of trauma and expectations and I'm unearthing her. And, and so I meet myself sometimes and I meet this version of myself. I'm like, I like this one. This is cool. I like, I didn't know you. Hi. I didn't know you were this fun. I didn't know you were this, like, I do silly things now. I feel so comfortable. And I've always wanted to do silly things, but I was afraid of acceptability when I was younger, but now I don't care. And I like this version of me that is more aligned with who I really am and not the expectations of me. I am not performing my life anymore or trying. I'm not trying to perform my life anymore. And I was really good at performing. I perform to perfection. <laughs> I don't want to perform anymore. Now I live my life. And that means being honest about what I want and being honest about how I want to live and being honest about what things like feel when things feel off and when I don't like something, um, you know, and so everything has changed. Everything. I'm a different mom, a different wife, a different partner, a different daughter, a different sister, and I'm a different person to myself. So yeah, everything. I like um, a lot of that. I mean, like you were saying, hey, right, right, brain, um, giving a lot, putting a lot of language to so much, and I think it's interesting, just kind of how you're describing that you're, you know, a whole new person. Many of us who grew up grew up in the church. Um, or might be familiar with the whole story of Jesus becoming transfigured of literally, you know, it, it means to like completely change who you are. And, you know, Paul, as much as I have a love hate relationship with Paul, um, he says, you know, transfigure or transform your mind, transform yourself. Like, and I think this work of decolonization is so much like it's set, like you said, a lot of our science is catching up to some of the wisdom from not just stuff that's in the, in the uh, canonized Bible, but stuff that's also in, um, I see stuff through Buddhism, through some parts of Islam that I've read in the Quran, some stuff that I've read just across the board that's like, oh, you know, they're, they're saying this really smart, scientific, scientific thing, but now we have language to it. Um, yeah. And, and that's the difference between colonized and decolonized religion. People And people don't understand that in the West, people think that religion is something you can pick up and leave. There yeah. is something that you can adopt today and then tomorrow you don't want it anymore. But in ancient times, religion and for indigenous people, religion is a part of their ethnicity. It's a part of who they yeah. are. It's a part of the way in which they explain the world. It's a part of the way in which they understand their humanity and the humanity of others. So it's not something that you can pick up and leave. It's something that is part of you. It's who you are. So when people tell me, why are you still a Christian? Honestly, there are some of these stupid narratives that keep calling my name. Yeah. And I've tried to leave this. I've tried. I've tried to leave Christianity because it's so gross. And I know too much. I know too much. I, it's, I, I've studied too much history. And I'm like, my God, the, the only appropriate way to describe Christianity for the last 1700 years, so forever, is terrorism. Yeah. It's the most appropriate way. And yet it is also this liberatory beautiful set of narratives that are rooted in judaism which is also liberatory and beautiful yeah and i have to sit in there and i keep thinking i belong to this thing and not just this thing indigenous indi indigenous uh indigenous religion also called these indigenous religions call me too uh but i can't let go of it because it's part of me i would be betraying myself if i said i don't want to be a part of this anymore because yeah. it's a part of me i can't i can't let it i can't i can't yeah yeah, I, um, I've been reading um, slowly, uh, Everything is Spiritual by Rob Bell, and he just starts off with that. We all have our own way. We all have our own set of beliefs that we already had. And, you know, um, Jake and I were able to go to like a pre-show uh, back in November that he was doing for his big tour thing that he was doing, whatever. But he, he had said um, at one point, it was either there or in a podcast, people ask him, you know, are you still Christian? Because 
I mean, he's had so much controversy and he's, and he said like, I mean, if you want to label it cool, I know, um, the naked pastor has said that in a couple of interviews as well. Um, I know many others <laughs> who have said that as well. It's like, if you want to call me that great. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, but he said, this is just the way of life. Like, this is just the culture that I was raised up in. This is the language that I was given. If I was given, if I was in a different culture, maybe I'd have different language for it. Maybe I wouldn't say I'm Christian. Maybe I would say I'm something else, but I do like a lot of what you're saying with just the indigenous side of just that's, that's tied to who, um, who we are as indigenous folk. Like we can't, um, and I say we, cause I am indigenous, although trying to figure out and yeah, go back we in all are. history. Yeah. A lot, yeah, exactly. We and all are. Like, yeah. And trying to figure out like, um, or, or, but like, no matter what I do, I can't seem to sh strip away from any type of spirituality, whether that's Christianity or anything else. I'm like, how can I look at nature? How can I look at the sunset even through our uh, California smog? Um, but how can I look at, um, you know, the waves when I go to the beach and not say that there isn't some sort of div something in there, something yeah. that's making that happen? Um, whether, and I can look at the science and I can say, oh, I know this is happening because of all this stuff, but yet, there's still so much wonder that's tied yeah, and, to all of that. And you know what? There is this thing about, I was talking to Jewish friends and an Obi Yahweh woman. I keep, I don't know exactly how to say, she's an indigenous woman from here, the North American part, what we call North America now. And we were talking about how um, colonized Christianity doesn't help you understand your connections. Doesn't, it, it's like a tree. Where was I talking about this? I was talking to someone recently, but it's like a tree. So colonized Christianity is like we're all trees and it grabs this tree and it cuts its roots. But we all have roots, all of us. But all of us got our roots cut out. And then they tell us, oh, I'm going to stand you next to this building, which is called Christianity. We're going to call it Christianity. And I'm going to tell you that this building is where you're going to get nourishment. This building is where this is your roots. But you don't feel connected to the building. You don't feel and suddenly you start growing roots and some of them make sense. Um, and all of us have, the, have to do the work of actually regrowing our roots. And for some of us, Christianity and the narratives of Christianity may offer a lot of like a rooting. For me, for instance, Christianity offers some sort of rooting. Judaism offers perhaps more rooting for me, really. A lot of indigenous spiritualities offer rooting for me. And so I continue to lean into that and let my roots grow. And as they grow, I might let go of some things or I might not let go of some things, but I let my roots grow freely. What I do not like is when people tell me, you cannot grow your root in that direction. Yeah, I can. I can do whatever the hell I want. Leave me alone. <laughs> so it happens a lot in atheist, like white atheist spaces of Christians where they tell you like no the only healthy thing to do is to have no relationship to spirituality I'm like no that's perhaps where you are at and where you're growing your own roots and it's fair and I respect it and that's but that doesn't mean that that's the only way and when you tell especially when you tell Jewish people who are still Jewish in spite of 2500 years of oppression against them for being Jewish and they are like we can't let it go because this is who we are we can't just stop being Jewish it would be easy to stop being Jewish it would be the easiest thing to do they are they have been oppressed for 2500 years for being Jewish they got kicked out of entire countries over and over and over again for being Jewish and they would tell them if you stop being Jewish you can actually not be kicked out and they were like we cannot do you understand we cannot you're literally asking me to stop being me 
And, and we can't understand that in the West. We can't understand that inside of colonized Christianity until we start reconnecting to our roots. And we all have them. So when you say, I'm indigenous, all of us have indigenous somewhere in somewhere, you know, Europeans are indigenous to Europe. And there are a lot of European indigenous groups that have been also murdered, that ha they have experienced genocide as well. And what does it look like then for European people that have European ancestry to start reconnecting to the ways in which Europeans before colonization did things to start? And, and I believe, because I believe in spirituality and the quantum field and all sorts of like wild things that my grandparents tell me about, I believe that there is wisdom that is hidden. And not only do I believe this, this is actually proven by um, neurobiology, neuroscience, uh, epigenetics, quantum physics, how we have wisdom hidden in our DNA. Our DNA knows things that we cannot articulate, but it knows things. Uh, and so how can we tap into that knowing, into the knowing of where we come from, of who we are, of the roots that are supposed to grow from us uh, and stop grabbing onto other, onto these buildings that we've been told you have to be a part of this building. And you're like, but well, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel, I don't fit. And that's how I felt inside of the evangelical church. I felt like I was a tree that was moved to this building and was told, this is where you're going to find respite and you're going to grow. And I'm like, I didn't grow. I, I withered. I quite literally in every possible way I withered because I wasn't supposed to be there. So if Christianity is not a place, uh, any form of Christianity is not a place where you blossom, but instead you wither, walk away, run, run away. But may you find those things that do help you blossom, that help you grow, that help you expand, that help you take space, that help you be, be like someone that has no bounds, you know? Like, what does it look like to have no bounds in your life? And start fostering the, the growing of those roots. That's it's healing. It's, it's a reclaiming in a way, too. That's... <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Uh, it's, that was really well put like the whole roots thing i really related to that aspect of it because when i first like wanted to just break away from the church that was where i want i wanted to just run out of that building entirely just like i i wanted to break out break off every single root that i have ever established and just run but their roots they're like under the ground they're deep and it's hard to like completely break away and so like that there are aspects of like you know my identity that you know come from the church for better or for worse and I you know being able to like you know establish new roots eventually like um for for me like understanding which parts were roots and which parts were just you know rotting branches that were dead on the ground yeah. um one of those was like me like me discovering I was queer, like finally being able to come out and I would had to do that. I had to do that, like, you know, separate from the rest of the church because like most of the people that I grew up with probably wouldn't accept me the way that I am, but that is a hundred percent me and it's one of my roots and I can't just, you know, pull up that root just to make everyone else happy. I have to, I have to acknowledge it and, you know, live with it and also embrace it. Right. Right. Yeah. Even grappling with who we really are as opposed to who we've been expected to be. 
Uh, I didn't even know I was, I, I, I am also, I'm not heterosexual, but I had no idea. Mm. I was told I was. I, like, I wasn't even in, invited to explore this. I wasn't even given language for it. It was, you're going to marry a boy one day. That's it. That's the expectation of you. One day you're going to marry a boy and it's going to be magnificent and you're going to live happily ever after. And the surprise when that's not what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. The surprise when I married this American and the, 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 he was so wonderful and he did all the things, right? And then we get married and I don't want to have sex with him at all. At all. My body shut down completely. And the amount of trauma that that brought for him and for me, the amount of trauma that we both had and that we were carrying that we had no idea how to navigate, the amount of ways in which we harmed one another because we didn't have the right tools to be able to have a healthy relationship. And the only tool they gave us was spiritual bypassing, which is useless. Um, <laughs> if anything, it's harmful. Like it's not even useless, it's harmful. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't even given that. So I'm a, an adult with children married sitting down thinking, I don't think I'm straight at all. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I do feel sexual attraction for men, but I don't only feel sexual attraction for men. And having to navigate that and think through that and tell my parents as an adult and wonder if they were going to stop being my friend if I told them. And I told them and they were like, okay. Uh, but after a lot of conversations, right? And that's, that's a privilege in itself that they responded that way. Um, but yeah, we, we weren't even allowed to explore who we were growing up. We were given a script and told to follow it. And now we are discovering who we are, tossing the script with fear and being like, I don't know. I don't know. What, what am I supposed to be now? And that's the journey of healing. And we should have been doing that when we were 12, 13, 15, 20, 22. But we're not. We're doing it now. And mm -hmm. you know what? It's better now than never. I have grandparents that are going to die having never been able to do that. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, Jake, did you have another question? I have a couple other things that I'm going to. Oh, yeah. I might steer. Um, I, I know for me, um, there was. I say this every interview that we have, but uh, for me, there was a straw that broke the camel's back moment. The moment that, like, I saw that, oh, this group that I've been a part of this entire time, and the vast majority of this group that I've been a part of this entire time, or I shouldn't say the vast majority, but, like, so much of it, especially the evangelical side that's been surrounding me, uh, this is toxic, and I need to and I need to get out of whatever this area is. I need to get out of it. There was a straw that broke the camel's back, and for me, that was back in uh, June of 2020, uh, after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, that was when, like, I mean, I was already like questioning like my faith and church in general before then, but that was like the moment that I knew that whatever I believed and whatever the rest of the congregation believed that I was a part of at the time, they were not the same and I needed to get out. Yeah. Um, was there, was there a straw that broke the camel's back for you or was it more of a gradual pro like process over time that eventually like slowly seeped it out? So maybe both. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that kept piling up and piling up. But then um, we were, I was, I came to church on a Sunday and this 
the people that were kind of like are my husband and I worked both for the church and the people that this couple that helped us a lot she came up to me and she goes I talked to the pastor to the lead pastor and I was like okay well good for you like I don't know and she was like no like I talked to him and I was like I don't know what you're saying and she just looked at me with fear <laughs> and she goes oh you don't know and I was like what and she goes oh you he's going to change your roles you guys are not going to be over the things that you're over right now it's going to be us and I don't that's it and I was like what and because I had been indoctrinated into protecting the pastor, I was like, oh, I'm sure that Caleb, my husband, forgot to tell me. Um, and I just walked away. And I was like, I knew for a fact my husband had not forgotten. Um, so I went and talked to him. And he was like, of course, I don't know. I don't know what they are talking about at all. So we talked to the pastor. And sure enough, he had told them already that they were going to take over our stuff. They were very young, very inexperienced. Um, they didn't have the education. They didn't have the experience they didn't they had just gotten married so they were easy to manipulate for sure and uh he was going to put me over marketing if you know anything about me you know that i me marketing and church are quite possibly the worst combination in the world like mm -hmm. i don't even believe in church marketing and i was like what the i have a master's degree in ministry and theology and you want me to be in charge of marketing and so he was like well you're being prideful and i'm like no i'm, I'm i just i don't see it and my husband is a people's person like he loves when he talks to people he's uh, honestly he actually is like the definition of a pastor uh, people just love him naturally as opposed to me, uh, which is fine. I'm like an acquired taste. Okay. Um, so he, he's like chocolate and I'm like sushi. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like people are like, yes, chocolate. And people are like, mm, sushi. I don't know. Uh, but then they love it. Uh, but anyways, and he was going to be over administrative work, like taking care of all the administrative work of the church. And we were like, how could you see us any less? And he's like, no, you're going to love these. I think that God is telling me that you you are going to develop these new gifts as you enter into these. New and I was like, no, fuck that. I can't do this anymore. He had changed my job so many times throughout the years. And I had agreed in spite of the fact that I felt uncomfortable doing the things that he was asking me to do. Uh, and this was like, no, this is so far removed from anything I care about, from anything I want to do. And I had been, you know, pushing the envelope to be fair, uh, and making a lot of like people uncomfortable at the staff meetings. And I was teaching classes, uh, classes that I was teaching were also pushing the envelope. Um, but he, he, he needed to move me. He needed to move me out of there. But I wish he would have just been honest and be like, listen, what you're teaching, I don't like it. So either knock it off or be gone. And I would have been gone because I wasn't going to knock it off. And so, so he did. So he changed our jobs and then made it sound like it was a good thing. And when we told him, like, you can't, I, we were sitting down having coffee and I looked at him and I said you cannot do that you cannot make decisions for my life without talking to me first you can't do that and he said we have two problems here one is you are immature and you need to learn to trust me more and two I told this woman to not tell you and she did so she made a mistake not me and I got up and I was like you're never ever going to admit to being wrong ever and I left and we left and my husband and I got in the car and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't from that point till the moment we actually left was six months of meeting with the pastors because they were convinced that we just had hidden sin that they needed to help us through meeting with them once or twice a week for six months until I looked at him in the face and I said, listen, I just need to go. 
I, I can't do this anymore. There is, I can't find any hidden sin. I don't, and maybe I do, and I just don't know what it is. I just need to go. He looked back at me and said, I'm going to tell you two things. One, if you want to go, oh, because we were told that to go, we had to get his blessing. So we kept not leaving. And he said, to give you my blessing, I, you have to admit that this is all your fault and I did nothing wrong. And two, I'm going to tell you, in three months, you're going to come back begging and you're not going to have your job back. And I was like, fine, fuck, absolutely, yes, deal. I was like, yes, you did nothing wrong. It's all on me. It's all my fault. I need to go. It's all my fault. And he's like, I'll see you in three months. And I was like, oh, sure, okay. But that's how desperate I was. I was like, whatever you want, whatever you say, sure. And the day that we were leaving, the last time we were at the church, I was holding a brand new baby. He was three weeks old. And my pastor, who was 6'5", stood right in front of me and my husband, who is 6'2", and he grabbed my husband by the shoulder, pushed him down hard, got really, really close to our faces and said, don't do anything stupid and I won't have to either. And that did it for me. I was like, if there was ever a chance, ever, you just destroyed it. I'm never coming back to this place, ever, ever. And, and that's when I discovered, because he, he intimidated me. I got scared when he did that and I started crying. And after that, we were told we couldn't talk to people. We were told we had to be silent. We were told we had to close down our social media accounts, that we were poisoning the well, that people were leaving the church because of us, which none of it was true. Um, but after that, I recognized intimidation and I was like, it's so easy to intimidate me. Like he intimidated me. I stopped talking to everybody. I was left with no friends, with no relationships. I didn't correct people in the wrong narratives. He told people, she told me that it was all her, but he didn't tell them why. And, and, but, and, and I, I was like, fine, I'll take it all. I'll take the full blame. I'll take everything because I was intimidated because I was afraid of him. And I, I said, I don't want to feel that way ever again. Never, ever again. I don't ever want anybody to feel, make me feel so small and give them so much power uh, that they make me feel that small. He made me feel like the smallest, the, the most insignificant, the most unimportant, the, a threat. And I had given my life to this place. Ten years, I moved countries because I was supposed to go back to Colombia and I stayed mostly for the church, um, you know? And it was my finances, my, my life, everything. And yeah, and so that was it. Just that little thing. That was it. That was it. When I was like, no, no, fuck this, never again. Yeah. First and foremost, I mean, I'm very sorry that you had to go through that. He sounded like a massive piece of shit. <laughs> In all honesty, like I, I lots of sure trauma you, there too. A very, yeah. very traumatized man with too much power. And unaddressed trauma plus power means you're an abuser. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you saw our faces of all just absolute shock. I, yeah, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I like makes my blood boil. I cannot. I hate when when people do that. And granted, I used to do that as well when I was a, when I was younger, a big intimidating guy. And I was, you know, it was for me. I know it was all trying to get some power, some control over a situation yeah. that it felt like I had no control out of. And so we're of coping with yeah. your own trauma. Yeah. And not um, as an excuse, because when people hear me say that, mm -hmm. they're like, are you excusing him? I'm like, no, I'm understanding him. I'm seeing him as a human yeah. and I'm meeting him with compassion. It's fine. Yeah. 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 There's a whole nother conversation with that, but I wanted to draw, <laughs> I think there, there's like two more things that I, I think we, it would be good to hit on the first one in the same vein as what you were just talking about. It's great that it kind of <laughs> a good segue into it. Um, you talk a lot about not being intimidated when people try to throw power. And also you're talking a lot about people who have 
um, a lot of power and how, you know, their ego kind of gets in the way. Um, there are two situations of recent history. Um, if you're open to talking about it, I would love to hear your perspectives. Um, besides the stuff that, you know, people can go, I know, I'm just going to say it now, for those of you who would like more information before we go into this, you can go on to Joe's um, Instagram and um, look at all of the highlights there. But I know that there are two situations recently. One was um, the whole drama with God is gray <laughs> um, and everything that is probably still going on there and how she tried to intimidate you with lawsuits and all that other stuff. And then there's also the whole stuff with Jen Buck um, and with everything with Jen Buck with the Bad and Bougie book, which... Um, we don't have to go fully into that because we're actually going to talk about that in the next segment um, after this, which is going to be our new, our weekly news segment. But um, you you had touched on one thing, and I just wanted to say it is like you, you touched on like um, we when you're talking about like how our trauma makes us want to fit in and and kind of makes us be fearful, yeah. you know, like I know you and I talked last week or two weeks ago now when the bad and bougie stuff was happening since I'm a student or graduated student of Azusa Pacific and the practical theology department of writing the open letter um, that I finally published today. I, I was scared. <laughs> I was so scared because I'm like these professors, I, I did the same thing that you're talking about of molding myself into someone that could be acceptable and someone that they liked yeah. someone to be able to get to some sort of, I guess, relationship with a lot of these professors. But I posted it yeah. thinking of the faces of two specific professors who I know or am fearful of getting some sort of message from of like, why would you do this? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, besides that, I did another lesson and working up the courage to email it directly to the professors. But um, <laughs> with all that being said, um, you do a lot of work um, and it, it, I enjoy your Twitter because it's really fun when I get to see um, how another white man has been pissed off by something you've said. Um, and so you've, you, <laughs> and, and oftentimes it's things that you didn't actually say, but that they read into it. Like the whole thing about, you know, recently you tweeted something about Easter. I and hate Easter. Like, yeah. <laughs> you hate Easter and they were like, well, you just hate Christianity. How do you, or you hate the church or whatever. They but went off with that one. <laughs> like, I was so confused. I was like, wow, you guys like took that far. Okay. Well, break a leg yeah no it was it 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 I, like i was reading that whole thing and, and laughing because that, that that's just ridiculous but there you know you 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 were talking about doing the work and a lot of people i think will talk the talk but it's rare for people who actually act out on it and you have actively been saying hey no this is an oppressive thing even with people who are your friends like you know the whole thing with the um, and I'll let you talk about it, but the whole thing with, you know, Joshua Tree, those people were your friends. And, right. I, you know, I read that and that's heartbreaking. So do you mind talking a bit about that? Like kind of the whole process, like I'm sure it was painful for you, <laughs> um, as I would imagine it would be like if Jake and Bonnie had done something or I did something to them, like it'd be painful going through that. So, yeah, you know what? I don't mind people hurting me um because that's human that's normal um you know we hurt people we hurt one another it's it's because we have a limited understanding we have a limited view i can't see everything and sometimes i'm going to hurt you hopefully not intentionally uh which i think is the case here maybe um uh, i don't know 
but sometimes I think so. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but I don't think it was intentional. Women went out into the desert and decided to take a picture. And, and, and to be completely honest, they planned this photo shoot. They, they did. Uh, I was a part of the emails where they were planning it. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. It didn't feel right to me. There was something about it that didn't feel right. I was listening to that right part of my brain that was like, something doesn't feel right. And so I decided not to go. And then they posted the picture and there were a lot of feedback on the picture. And my first reaction was defensiveness, defensiveness for my friends and defensiveness for the time that we spent together. Um, and then I realized that the pushback was actually valid and that we should listen to it. And I brought that to my friends who were telling me that they have been doing the work, that they have been working on the, the ways in which white supremacy has conditioned white women specifically, or, or women that look like they are white women, women ad, like white adjacent women, to the way that they have been conditioned to show up in the world. And I was like, yeah, you've been doing this work. So it shouldn't be that hard for you to recognize the ways in which this can be harmful. But it was like, absolutely not. And like pushing back on me and pushing back on me at all times. And I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I felt like everything that I was being that I was saying was being taken out of context. I was being, I was told that I was betraying them. And I was like, how am I betraying you? I'm just telling you that this is harmful. So I just, I said, you know what? I want to share my part of the story then. And so I did, I shared my part of the story and owned my own fragility, my own uh, defensiveness. I wasn't even in the picture, mind you, but um, I still did my part because accountability is a gift. And you said something about courage. And I've learned in the last 10 years, probably, that courage is the way to healing. Like if you are not courageous enough to be honest with yourself, if you're not courageous enough to say the things that you need to say to yourself, to tell yourself, no, I'm a, I'm a racist. I am. I had to say that to myself. I am racist. I have been conditioned by a lot of racist ideologies. And if you're not courageous enough to call bullshit on yourself and to say, oh, I did that not because I was good. I did it because I was looking for external validation. Oh, I, I, I dress this way because I want men to tell me that I'm beautiful. And that makes me feel good about myself. I do it for the male gaze. If you are not courageous enough to say those things, all things that I've had to say to myself, um, you won't find healing. You won't. You won't find healing because then you don't have a proper diagnosis. And without a proper diagnosis, there is no healing, right? You are appeasing, you are, um, you know, doing all sorts of things, but not healing. You're not healing. And I realized that a lot of these women were not courageous. They weren't courageous enough to look at themselves in the mirror and realize that they were causing harm. And it wasn't that bad until Alice posted a blog and the blog was overtly racist. It was overtly ableist. It was overtly fatphobic. And I was like, I, none of you, all of you are white women. None of you are saying anything. Now I have to, <laughs> like, and I wish I didn't have to, because this is not my mess. I didn't make this mess. Um, so I ended up having to say something which made them feel even more like I had betrayed them, like I have done all these things, um, which is fine. Um, I just was not going to betray myself. This was wrong. It felt wrong. And if it meant that I was losing relationships with people, then it does. It won't be the first time. And I will lose relationship with anybody except myself. And betraying myself is losing relationship with myself. Is losing myself for the acceptability of what? Women that I've met once or twice that told me they loved me, but that cannot show up for me, but instead 
blame me for things that they did and tell me that I betrayed them, call me narcissistic. I was like, no, I'm not going to betray myself. I don't betray myself for my children. Certainly I won't betray myself for you. Um, and so that like turned worse and worse and worse. I tried, I tried really hard to stay in relationship with Jamie, particularly. I, I tried really hard to stay in relationship with Brenda. I told Brenda, I'll go to LA. Um, I'll, I'll, like make my way all the way there i'll pay for dinner we can have a conversation this isn't that big a deal this can be fixed it's fine and she never replied to me i tried with jamie but jamie never had bandwidth and when she finally had bandwidth it was really not she didn't really have bandwidth um she had bandwidth to tell me things but not to hear me uh and so i realized oh these people aren't my friends um they just they liked my company because of either what they made them look like or because they needed another person to go on this trip and they needed the extra money or because they, you know, they, because business-wise, it's a smart to be my friend right now for all of them. Uh, and we're not going to pretend that those things didn't cross their minds because I'm not naive enough to think they didn't, um, you know? And, and I think that's what bothers people about me, that when I notice something, I say it. And by the way, this is a Colombian thing. It's not even a, a personality thing. So it happens to my sister and my mom and to all of us. Like we see something and we say it and people are like, why are you so aggressive? And we look at each other like, oh, I was just pointing something out. Like I was telling you, you have a booger. Like, did you not want me to? I don't understand. Uh, so it happens to my sister all the time. She had to have a conversation with one of her colleagues and she was like I told him like I need you to send me an email and he was like you don't need to be aggressive and she was like I was just asking you to send an email I was being assertive I was being direct do you want me to sugarcoat hi how are you doing it's so good to see you can you send me an email we don't have time for that so it's just like hey I need you to send me an email and people take that as aggression and so I realized that a lot of it was also culturally uh, we just behave differently and I also realized that I refuse to be acclimated into U.S. ways of existing because they aren't healthy, uh, because people in the U.S. will look at me and be like, I love you. You are so great. I love you so much to turn around and tell everybody else that they hate me. I don't do that. It's just not in my DNA. I can't do that. I, I simply won't talk to you. That's probably better. But if I do talk to you, I'll be like, you know, what? I don't think that we're going to be friends. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, and that's fine. Like in Colombia, that's not taken personally. It's not a personal thing against you. It just means we're not going to be friends. Not all Colombians, but, you know, a lot. And so, so that's what happened there. And I realized, oh, these women are not ready to be courageous. And I don't have time to do a lot of emotional labor to maintain relationships. Like, it's just, I, I don't want to do that. I did that inside of the church for so long, explaining things and over explaining things and doing a lot of emotional labor that you are not even willing to do yourself. So if people in my life are not willing to do the emotional labor of calling bullshit on themselves, or of, of seeing things, uh, of navigating trauma, of navigating conflict, of being an accountable person that can actually receive and give accountability. If that's not their interest, that's fine. That means that we cannot be in relationship because that's the kind of relationships that I'm interested in now. Um, now, those are with people that I have a relationship with. With Barambuji, I do not have a relationship with Jen Buck, uh, which a lot of people have criticized me for. Like, why are you talking about Jen Buck if you don't have a relationship with Jen Buck? Well, this is what happened. I got a text message from someone that does. And I got a text message from someone that knows a lot of people at Azusa that do and that have talked to her and that have held her accountable only to be met with silence or minimizing or whatever, you know? And I was like, okay, what do you want me to do about this? And they were like, I don't know, do whatever. And I was like, is it okay if I message her? So I did. I messaged her to establish a relationship. And I said, hey, Jen, 
can you explain to me how you're qualified to do this? And she deleted my message. When you delete my message, that's an act of, I don't want a relationship with you. That's telling me, I don't want a relationship with you. I asked her then, did you delete my message? Because my I tried to lead with curiosity and I assumed maybe it was a mistake. Maybe she didn't notice. Maybe maybe she was afraid. And if she tells me like, you know what? It made me nervous and I deleted it. I would have been like, oh, I get that. Can we talk though? Uh, but instead she deleted it and never replied to me. And I, I get it that it's uncomfortable to have a message by a stranger that asks you that. But I get that every day. I, I get worse every day. Every day, men meeting me with so much aggression and with so much, who are you? Who do you think you are? No, you're not what you say you are. No, you're wrong about that. I'm like, actually, everything I say is pretty researched, but whatever. Um, and so I realized, oh, you don't want to have the courage either. You don't want to have the courage to, because this isn't the first thing that the first time that Jen has been told that this is harmful. I'm like, you don't want to have the courage to admit to yourself that what you did is harmful. And so I then shared it in my stories. I thought that the same thing that happens every time I share something in stories was going to happen. People were going to notice, and I do it for educational purposes. People are going to notice this is very common. This happens a lot. Tell me how many books by Black women have been written about the white feminist experience. None. None. Right? Because Black women are not writing about the experience of white women. White Black women write about their experience. We, I write about my experience. I don't tell you how, you know, like, let me, I observed white men for 10 days and now I can write a book about 10, like white men. No, we don't do that. That level of entitlement is only afforded to the most privileged amongst us. But, um, so yeah, I thought people are going to see it. They're going to notice. It's going to be a good thing to notice because now we can see more and more examples for the amount of gaslighting that we receive that racism doesn't exist. Racism. Yes, it does. That's racist. And so that's, that was my intention, <laughs> to be honest. I did not know her book was going to be pulled. Neither, that, neither did I ask for it. Neither did I plan for it. I had no idea. I didn't even put it on Twitter. Somebody else put it on Twitter. And then it caught kind of fire a little bit. And then, you know, yeah, the publisher was like, yeah, we're well, going to pull it. And the conversations that the publisher shared and that the people that were talking directly to the publisher shared, they took it seriously. They were like, yeah, we, we, we messed up. This was not okay. We shouldn't have done this. This was wrong. We were wrong. We want to pull it. So the publisher wanted to be held accountable and therefore they were. And the consequences were for everybody involved. Um, but yeah, my intent was not to get the, pool, the, the book pulled. That never happens, but I'm glad it did. I, don't, I think it's great, especially because the publisher did it not out of coercion, which I've been accused to. They were like, well, yeah, they got a lot of tweets, so they did it. And the publisher was like, no, that's not why we did it. That's that's not why we did it. How many publishers have gotten so many tweets about other books and they don't pull the books? Um, they did it because they felt like it was the right thing to do. And now they are moving into a process of actually adding different voices and figuring out how did this, how did we even get here? Uh, and I love that. That's what should happen, right? Uh, so when I cause harm, which I do, I try to do that. I try to say, okay, I, and, I, and oftentimes I really genuinely don't understand. Like people tell me that's harmful. I'm like, I genuinely don't know. I didn't have a bad intention. I just said something. Like I said something, I said, if Jesus was human, then he had to feel sexual desire. I said something like that, uh, maybe a year ago or something like that. And people, asexual people were like, what do you mean? Are we not? Are we not human? And I was like, 
I don't understand. I really didn't understand what they were saying <laughs> because I'm not asexual. So I didn't understand. And this one person in particularly, in particular, started explaining it to me. And finally I got it. And I was like, thank you so much. And I thanked them publicly. I was like, I didn't understand. I deleted the tweet. This is why I deleted it. This is what I didn't understand. This is what I understand now. This is how I'm going to get educated in the future. And I sent this person money to thank them for the emotional labor that they did not owe me. So it's fine to mess up. But are we willing to listen? Are we willing to lean in to say, oh, I hear you? Because the moment that I tell you, you harmed me and your response is, no, I didn't. You're abusing me. I don't care that you understand or not. If I tell you you're being racist and you're white and I'm brown or I'm black or I am someone that is racialized in this society and I say, hey, that was racist and your response is, no, it wasn't. That's called gaslighting and it's abuse. So the only response to identities that are more marginalized than us that tell us you're causing harm is help me understand how I don't want to do this again. And I've learned so much from doing that. I've learned how much anti-Semitism is inside of me. I've learned how much transphobia was inside of me. I've learned how much internalized homophobia was inside of me, how much misogyny, internalized misogyny, how much xenophobia, anybody that was not a Christian, uh, the, the things that I had been conditioned to believe about them. And I don't feel any shame for that. I was conditioned to believe those things. But I know better now. So I do better. So the invitation is always to, can you please have the courage to just do better? Or are you so committed to being viewed, to being perceived as a good person? Because I don't care if I'm perceived as a good person or not. I am more concerned with being one. So are you more concerned with being perceived as good or being good? Be not good, but being like healthy. You know, meeting people in a healthy way, being an accountable person, because I'm more concerned with being those things, being mature and developing my emotional fitness and developing my maturity, developing my critical thinking skills, learning more, educating myself more. I'm more concerned with that than being perceived as good. If I want to be perceived as good, I'd be in deep trouble because there is a good like entire group of Christian people that think I'm a horrible human and I'm fine with that. It's okay. So, you know, so I don't remember your question, but I went on that rant. So, yes. Yes. No, thank you. Yes to everything. <laughs> you know what? The right answer is Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it's somewhere somewhere in the Bible it says Bible. Joe Lumen has the ability to <laughs> piss off white men um, and yes. white women. Um, yes. Uh, no, you, you answered all the questions. Thank you. I, I, I think that a lot of other things, just a lot of thoughts like bubbled up in me. Um, and I have seen, you know, I've, I mean, I was talking with other people specifically about the bad and bougie. Um, but even it, with uh, the stuff with Brenda, like when that picture first got up, that's right when I joined the crowded table and... I remember just seeing comments from a lot of queer folk being like, where's our representation? And then seeing other people um, that were, that were BIPOC being like, where's our representation? Like, this is just right. white woman. And so it's like, it's hard, you know, being someone who doesn't fit the stereotypical um, norm. And, and I've, we've, we've mentioned it on this podcast so many times that we're going to actually be doing an episode of it coming up, or at least we've discussed doing an episode of it coming up of like this whole space that is being created in the last few years that really has been slowly getting created over the last at least 20 ish years or 40 years, you know, yeah. um, like we are, we're no better, you know, we're no better than the systems that we've left. And, um, 
It might have been you who said it. I don't remember who said it. So someone said if you're I don't deacon, I had to I had to preach at um preach speak whatever uh to wild goose last year and I was talking about when Jesus how many times Jesus asks his disciples or how many times the disciples ask Jesus uh who's the greatest amongst us who gets to sit next to you who gets when we die who's the greatest this obsession with being the greatest and time and time again Jesus looks back and he's like you're not understanding anything like you're not getting it you keep wanting to be better than your neighbor instead of mm -hmm. just wanting to be your most authentic self and not yeah. care about what they are doing, not care about what anybody's doing, but just yeah. be the most authentic version of yourself. And these, these fools are sitting next to this rabbi of theirs, you know, like what it would be now a rabbi of theirs, their teacher, and they are sitting next to them. And um, he's like, I'm going to die. And they go, no, yeah, totally. But who's going to sit next to you? Like, who's the greatest, yeah. though? But who's the greatest? And he's like, the greatest is the one that cleans people's feet. The one that yeah. understands that this isn't about them, but it's about serving others for the purpose of being better together. The greatest mm -hmm. amongst you is the one that is actually serving, caring. And, and they don't get it. They still don't yeah. get it. It takes them so long to get it. And I, and I was telling this group of progressive Christians, I was like, that's you. You look at evangelicals and you say, but Jesus, we are the greatest, right? Yeah. Who's the greatest? Is it evangelicals or is it us? Like you, you are all just playing who's the greatest. And in the meantime, queer folks and, you know, black and brown folks, indigenous folks, and a whole bunch of other marginalized people in different identities are telling us, do you mind if you serve us? Maybe do you, could we yeah. have a different conversation? Cause okay, fine. You're the greatest. We don't care. But can you stop being racist and being homophobic in acceptable ways now? Can you stop being fat phobic? Can you stop mm. being ableist? Can you stop being, yeah. you know, can you, can you, can you stop being xenophobic? Can you stop proselytizing? Do you think that you could stop proselytizing because that's genocide, cultural genocide? Yeah. But no, yeah, you're better than the evangelicals, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, and um, it might have been you who said, like, if your deconstruction does not include decolonization, then it's just rebranded evangelicalism it's just rebranded white supremacy and it's it's heartbreaking i i, I mean I, I i've been noticing it here and there for a lot of things and i've been seeing you know a lot of um you know circle jerks i'll just call it what they are of people like i mean the whole like they're they're like a stupid tweet was going around about mary did you know of like oh yes or yes mary you knew i'm like actually no she didn't if you actually think for one quick moment how would mary have known everything that was in mary did you know but everyone was saying it because like oh we're funny and haha -ha, you know ex-evangelical and i'm like this is just stupid and like the amount of anti-semitism around ex-evangelicals on twitter and instagram is wild to me yeah oh um this is hard but it's not just the white people yeah a lot of people of color say a lot of anti-semitic things and then they use their race in order to be yep. able to say i can i wasn't being anti-semitic i i understand marginalization i'm a person of color okay mm. so you also don't want to have the courage to be honest yeah. cool yeah so everyone just needs to be honest and yeah yeah and i i get that it takes a minute right your nervous system literally mm -hmm. takes over and it's like don't tell them oh, the yeah. truth because they'll hate you forever um yeah. but we need to be able to stop letting our brain hijack our ability mm -hmm. to be courageous yeah there's so much in that um and it's i mean it, it's hard and and there's there's so much that's that's been happening and 
a lot that we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Like a lot of, I mean, I don't think most of us don't didn't know a lot of the broken relationships that happened with, with you, Jamie and Brenda, or, you know, with a lot of other people and yeah. I'm not going to go Honestly, into it. I, I, I wouldn't have shared any of it. If Brenda wouldn't have started sharing and lying. Yeah. <laughs> that I was yeah. like, well, if you're going to say that, then mm-hmm. I got to say something too. And she, she came back with a video where it was like, Oh, cancel culture. And I was like, relax. Nobody canceled you. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I wouldn't have said anything. I, I wasn't yeah, saying was anything. I was over you. it. Yeah, I was like, I'm over it. Like we're moving on. I, I, yeah. I've, I've, I'm moving on. So yeah, it's just really funny. But uh, what I told you earlier, um, oppressive ways of being trauma is uninventive. The way that yeah. Brenda and Jamie particularly treated me is no different than the way that my pastors at the church treated me either. The two white women yeah. that were married to the two pastors of the church no different. And my husband was like, I feel like we're talking about these two women. And I was like, yeah, the exact same behaviors, the exact same ways of existing, the exact same ways of looking down on me. Uh, it's an inventive. You have to heal. You have to heal from white supremacy. You you have to. Oh, I, I was actually, uh, I really looked up to Brenda for a long time. Um, I was pretty like done with Christianity when I stumbled upon her content and it kind of revitalized my faith. And so when all this happened, I was devastated. And at first I didn't want to think about it, didn't want to look at it um, or acknowledge it. And then like I was like, no, this is something like, it's important for me to acknowledge that white supremacy exists in even people I really like. It's hard, right? And I like, how do you think um, white women specifically What's the best way that we can support POC women in this community? Heal. Heal from white supremacy. Heal from the narratives that white supremacy has told you about you. There is a black woman whose name I cannot recall, but she made a video and the video stayed with me forever and her name didn't because that happens a lot on TikTok. Um, But this woman, I shared it in my stories and I'll find it one day again. And I'll save it somewhere. But she was talking about how you don't understand that your endocrine endocrine system is racist. Uh, and I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Your entire nervous system is racist. Your entire nervous system. It's not conscious. You've been, you've been conditioned by racism. You've been conditioned by white supremacy. You've been conditioned to believe certain narratives about you, about other white people, and about people of color. Different narratives about Black people or me or Asian women. But you've been conditioned to believe those things. And that is not good for you. And healing from those narratives, healing those narratives, healing the trauma of white supremacy, the expectations that white supremacy has put over you to treat people in certain ways the expectations that it's put over you to dehumanize certain people in subconscious ways like it's not even conscious um but healing from that making it conscious is the best way that you can actually be uh i like to say a sister i don't i don't need allies because see allies supposes that you are not being affected by this but you are white supremacy is killing you too white supremacy is harming everyone so i don't i don't need white women to be allies i need white women to be good sisters to heal so that they stop hurting uh, women of color to heal so that they start addressing the ways in which they have decided to choose power instead of choosing camaraderie instead of choosing their sisters uh and this, the history of white women's violence against women of color is long it's so long the way that white women treated black children um, during 
slavery in the United States is horrific, horrific. Um, the, the ways in which white women have weaponized the, uh, the fact that they are women against black men and against other men of color is horrible. The ways in which white women weaponize in general that they are white women and that they are the prized possession of the patriarchy in order to avoid accountability, in order to cause harm, in order to say to white men, we are like you, but we are not like those women. The history of all of that, the suffragette movement, just racist, so much racism. And you are not doing us a favor by addressing racism. You are healing too. This is bad for you. This is hurting you. And so if white women can understand that we are not asking you to address this because we need you, we need your help. We're asking you to address this because this is bad for you. Not only are you hurting us, which sucks, but you know what? We'll set boundaries and you lose us, uh, but it's also hurting you. It's hurting your ability to be sisters to one another. Uh, it's hurting your ability to have relationships with women. It's hurting your ability to have healthy relationships with men too. Um, it's, it's hurting you. It's hurting you. It's continuing to tell you that you have to fit into a mold, that you have to look a certain way, that being a white woman looks like this, feels like this, and should be like this. When you want to be just you. And so heal. That's the best thing that you can do. Heal. Stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to be like the influencers that all look alike, act alike, behave alike to be able to get more money than the rest of us. Who cares? Who cares? Aren't we fighting here for something bigger? Aren't we fighting for liberation for all? Aren't we fighting to ensure that our children don't have to fit in anymore and get to be themselves? But they won't if you continue to participate in white supremacy. Let go of patriarchy all you want, you say, and then you continue to participate in white supremacy as though they are not deeply interrelated and connected and you cannot get rid of the other without actually, you cannot get rid of one without needing to get rid of the other. So heal. That's what I want white women to do, heal. And that's what I want me to do. And that's what I want all women of color to do. That's what I want all people to do. What we're asking of people with privilege is no different than what we're asking of ourselves. That was really good. Thank you um, for sharing. Also, Bonnie, thank you for being vulnerable with that. Um, yeah, I think I have a lot <laughs> similar issues. I know there's obviously there isn't any public information, but I've, I've had conversations with close friends who've experienced some similar to what, you know, Bonnie's going through, but now with the dirty rotten church kids with whatever's going on there, like there's, there's pain that happens and, and it's, it's valid. Um, but it's painful nonetheless. Yeah. And so, um, so and you know when, what? We, we'll all make mistakes. We'll all do things yeah. that are shitty. Uh, I, I, like I said before, I just want to see people that are accountable, you know, yeah that that care that care yeah. enough to be accountable when they fuck up because that's how i yeah. that's how i'll meet you you want to be my friend cool you can i i'll guarantee you i'm an accountable person i will be accountable uh and accountability means that you have to show me the harm though not make it up yeah. like tell me this is how you harm me not say oh you're mm -hmm. i'm losing money because of you it's like no you're losing money because you were racist yeah and if your biggest issue is you're losing money instead of harming a relationship that's telling a lot more about you than you're willing to even admit to yourself yeah yeah so yeah i and i think that the problem is that we left toxic spaces and i've been saying this for a very long time and you've repeated it uh we leave the toxic spaces but the toxic we don't recognize how the toxic spaces are inside of us they are in our yeah. brain they are the ways that we exist in the world so we drop christianity but pick up another weapon and continue to behave in the same way cause the same harm just with a new weapon yeah yeah, yeah you end up leaving one religion for a new one absolutely and no matter what, it can be oppressive, even if it looks like it's not. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so one last question before we ask, you know, how people can connect with you. Um, you have a book that I, uh, I that is coming up. Can, can you talk uh, real quick about that and any information? Um, I'm excited for that. I saw that yesterday. and was super stoked. Um, Thank so you. yeah. Yeah, I've been working on this book for a bit and it's changed a lot in the last like a year and a half. But um, the book is called, or it, it, the tentative um, name for the book is Predatory God, which I'm sure will get me a lot of friends inside of evangelicalism. Um, but it's called Predatory God because I recognized a lot of the ways in which a lot of theologies that were given to me throughout my life were theologies that groomed me to accept and tolerate abuse, not only by people, but also by the systems at hand. Uh, you know, they were a lot of different theologies that told me that I wasn't good enough, that I needed to perform, that told me that I was going to go to hell. And therefore, there was these expectations of me outside, like before I died. There are all of these theologies that have harmed us so much. And there are also all these theologies that have been liberatory for me and beautiful and amazing. And so uh, changing my idea of sins, changing my idea of hell, changing my idea of salvation, um, all of like seeing salvation, hell and sin in m much more healthy ways uh, that actually help me get in touch with the most authentic version of myself and are not demanding that I uh, behave in certain ways or do certain things. And so that's what the book is about. It's called Predatory God. And it's about that, how God has been used as a predator in order to be able to allow for abusers and systems that are abusive to thrive amongst us and how we can heal from that and recognize instead liberatory narratives and theologies that can help us have liberation and not oppression. Uh, so I'm writing it. I'm really excited. It's actually amazingly exhausting to write it because of the amount of trauma that I have to unearth as I'm writing it, not just my personal one, but also historical trauma, because I'm sharing historical instances in which these theologies have been used to harm entire people groups. And so, like, sometimes I'm reading things and I feel physically exhausted. I'm like, I can't, I have to take a break. Um, because some things, like, just hearing the humanizing narratives about my people <laughs> is, it sucks. Uh, and also, I think we need to tell these stories. It's important to, you know, it's important for me. So I was telling my friend Robin, I, they were asking me, like, how is the book writing going? And I said, I just want to make my child self proud. Like, that's all I'm writing for me. Um, yeah, so it's already a success because I'm being, I'm being so faithful to me, like the things I needed to know when I was five years old and I started hearing so many things that were just so harmful for me. So yeah, so I'm excited. Thank you. And I, we don't have a date. We don't have a release date yet. I have to turn in the manuscript November 1st. I have to Ooh. turn in two chapters tomorrow. So we'll see. <laughs> well, I know I'm I'm at least excited, so I might have to <laughs> see if we can get you on when it when it's coming out to talk more about that book. I would love I, to. Yeah, it sounds a lot like um, what Native by Caitlin Curtis and also Bad Theology Kills by Kevin Garcia. What both of those books did for me, just people talking out of their own experience, and already sounds like um, incredibly enlightening, and also um, just like it, it. It just sounds like it's going to be a, a fun read. I guess fun is a weird word. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know nerd. what you mean, I'm though. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to write it. Um, I have a family that is like supportive no matter what. Like, I could be writing a book about murder and they'd be like, Where do we buy it? So, I'm really excited oh, for them to awesome. read it and support me. And they are super excited, even though they don't speak English. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for, um, you know, 
being here with us. And uh, there, there's so much that I think I'm, I'm going to just be sitting with and just be processing, especially as, you know, we go through and edit everything and make it look all, you know, as good as we can make it, or rather as good as I can make it, um, <laughs> try to, you know, do what we can. Um, it, this, there's so much in there. And I, I think there's so many different conversations that we could talk about, especially what you were, you said something, I think about Jacob or, or something and you stopped there. Wow. I was like, there is something there that I want to know, but, um, I want to respect your time. I know you have a family and, and also, um, we've already been talking for about an hour and a half. And so, um, I really, we, I, I don't want to speak for Jake and body, but I know I really appreciate your time. Um, Thank you. and so yeah. where, um, we're just, we're so blessed to have you on. Thank you for oh, your, thank you. and like your words of wisdom. It's been really awesome to have this time to connect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I love these conversations. So it's good. Yeah. So where can people connect with you? How can people support you um, get involved with the decolonizing work that you do? Yeah. So I am on um, social media platforms, TikTok. TikTok is hard for me lately, but I'm there. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. And um, I do have a patron, but I tell people all of my, not, nothing in my patron is behind a paywall. I try to just share, um, that's not true. I've shared a little, like little excerpts of my book there for some people, but in general, nothing is behind a paywall because I don't want people to not have access to the things that I write just because they can't mm. afford to. So I ask people, if you, if you want to partner with me and you can, uh, and if you benefit, if you're learning something from the things that I say, and you can, uh, you can, you can partner with me through Patreon, uh, but you're not going to get anything special or anything like that. So, <laughs> and I do that for the purpose of being, you know, it's a decolonized kind of way of ensuring that there is accessibility for all people. Um, so yeah, that's, that, those are ways that people can connect with me. And if they want to support me or what I call partner with me, then that's another mm -hmm. way to partner. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited just for your book and everything that else that's coming out. Um, and so, um, for those of you listening, if you'd like to connect with Joe in different ways, we'll be putting links into the show notes. So um, you can follow her if you do not already follow her or sign up for Patreon if you would like to support her and partner up with her as well. Um, so thank you. Wow. What a fantastic interview that we just were a part of right now and just got done chatting with Joe Lumen and not waiting a week to talk about it to like process that entire conversation. Yeah, and don't yep. mind the audio difference or anything. Uh -huh. The quality's a little bit better, you know. It doesn't sound like we're all on a Zoom call or whatever. Oh boy, yeah. So, full disclosure, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, we took a week to kind of think about uh, all that was said uh, during the podcast because there was a really, really deep conversation that, uh, well, it was more like just listening to it for yeah. me. Uh, it was it was a lot of just like hearing the whole, like, there were certain parts of it that like really spoke out to me personally. There were other parts of it that were like, I could see it the the pain that she went through uh mm -hmm. as a person that grew up in her experience uh and like it's almost indescribable <laughs> at that yeah. point for me it's just so there's just so many good points especially like when we talked about all that uh i like i'm brushing it off all that queer stuff 
but like there's a lot of aspects of that that I'm like I I feel exactly what you are feeling mm-hmm. uh, in this moment and in almost every moment. <laughs> I, do I understand exactly that you know the queer struggle? Yeah. Yeah, I think as soon as we got off of that call, we all just sat there in silence for like a minute. Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, so uh, we should take some time. <laughs> mm. And I, there was also, we had to get up early to go to Disneyland the next day. But that is it true. was definitely like, I think it was just really heavy. It was like sitting in a classroom, like a class, like a college level class, but like one that I was actually interested in and cared about being cat. Mm. And one that I could actively like, you know, participated but like there there was a lot of things that she said you know especially like the one thing that has been sticking out to me a lot and I texted it immediately to two of my friends like during the interview um, was when she had said like intuition is nothing more than our mirror neurons just firing out which um, is just a fascinating idea because uh, I don't I don't think I generally don't think most people know what a mirror neuron is do you guys know what a mirror neuron is yeah you do Jake do you know what a mirror neuron is no okay good Okay, um, I don't want to mansplain, but a <laughs> mirror neuron is essentially these things in our brain. You know how they say monkey see, monkey do? Mm-hmm. It's a part of your brain that does that, where you see things and you're able to pick up on it. So it's helpful for our feelings of empathy and feelings of um, compassion and stuff because it will help us, like, you know, when, some, when one person yawns and it makes you yawn, mm. that's your mirror neurons kind of firing off. Or when someone else is crying, it makes you want to cry, that's your mirror neurons firing. And it was fascinating hearing that perspective because if we think about it, who, the people who tend to be like, I, I've, I've always been someone with a very strong intuition and I've never thought of it as a way of survival. Like I had to intuit my ways through things to decide things because no one helped me or because situations were unsafe and I needed to constantly understand what was in my surroundings so I could reach safety. And it just makes total sense that that is like where intuition comes from and stuff like that. And so like, there's a lot of situations like that where she was saying things that were just mind-blowing um, and reached my soul. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also, like when she said manifesting is, is not actual magic, it's just your privilege. And I was yeah. like, that, that honestly, that one phrase wrecked me. Mm. That was... Because there's always been something that's bugged me about manifestation, uh-huh. and I could never, like put a word to it but she nailed it yeah Mm -hmm. but like what she was saying of where we attract what we uh put ourselves into like that idea like the law of attraction that makes sense like matt like there was a video that i saw about manifesting a year like a year ago i think or maybe end of last year and it was essentially saying if you're wanting to reach a reality being in that state of wanting isn't going to actually make it happen But if you sit there for a moment, think about what it is that you want and like think about and then focus in and meditate on what, when you get that thing that you're trying to get, how does that make you feel? And then when you get that feeling down, name it, embody it and live into it. And naturally things will happen as a result because you attract what you are. Now on one hand, yeah, that's kind of privilege, you know, some things like some people aren't going to be able to manifest certain things because it, they're just, they don't have the privilege to do so. But I do think that there's wisdom in what, I forgot what she was saying, like the, something with the neuro something, some big fancy word or idea where she was saying um, that 
where our mindset is is where we kind of end up. Something like that. She said that at one point. I don't remember what it was, but it's been a week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a very intense TED Talky interview. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what she said, yeah, was really thought-provoking, very challenging um, to, like, my own beliefs and, like, pre-constructed uh, mental maps of reality, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love how she incorporates, like, science into her spirituality. I think that's super cool and super, Mm -hmm. like, it deepens your, your faith when, like, you can connect it to real, tangible facts like that. Yeah. And everything she said about decolonization, super important conversation to have, and I love that that's, like things that we're starting to discuss on our podcast now. I think that's the most important conversation to be having within Christian and spiritual spaces. Mm -hmm. So yeah, love her. Have a little crush now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You hear that, Joe? No, man. (laughs) No, we are, I, I think I can speak for all of us and just say that we, if you are listening, Joe, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, like genuinely that was really awesome um, and we're very glad that we were able to have you come on um, and just hear your voice into just a lot of the other things and so once again uh, if you do not already follow her go find her um, I will be putting all the stuff into our show notes um, if you would like to support her on Patreon um, and, and you would like to be able to help her um, financially in that way that and partner with her um, that I'm sure she would appreciate that um, and yeah, go interact with her. She's really easy to get a hold of. In all honesty, I really like the approachability of her. Um, like to get her on this podcast. Full disclosure, um, I should have mentioned this when we were on the podcast. I didn't think about it. The way that we got her on was because I made it like a, an apology to her because when I first started deconstructing, I hated her. I hated the stuff she said. The way she said it. I also hated the dirty rotten church kids. I hated like a lot of other people who've become like these different spaces, like created these different spaces. Um, and I will acknowledge as well, there has been some hurt from some of these spaces as well. Um, and so I'm not going to brush over any of that, but um, I actively would tell friends that Joe Lewin is crazy or whatever. And one day it hit me like I was listening to a podcast with her on it. And I was like, what the fuck? This is so good. Like, I, I was genuinely like, what have I been saying? And so I, I think at that point, I had gone out of the defensiveness of my faith and the defensiveness of myself and had started to undo some of, like, the internalized racism that was within me. Um, and so I just felt the need to apologize to her. And so um, I, I, and I just share that, one, as a form of public apology, but two as a like just showing that she was very receptive she sent me a message within the same day um and uh, you know and i think similar to us um unless she's busy she won't respond you know <laughs> like there was a we were we were actually going to try to get her on what like last november mm-hmm. i think it was when we were initially trying but yeah. um everything with god is grace started happening around then and then it was also you know other things got busy and so um you know I think a lot of people in this decolonization and the queer space are, are, are generally pretty responsive, which is really cool. I, and I appreciate that. So, um, once again, Joe, thank you for, um, 
your, well, I'll just say friendship and like the ways that you've come alongside us with us in just the last hour and a half. That was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it really goes to show like, I honestly think that that conversation that we just had and all the things that Joe Lumen has said, uh, I shouldn't say all of it, but like a lot of the stuff that's been posted by her, like within the last couple of years have been like really helpful and have helped. Well, I don't want to speak for uh, everyone else, but it's definitely helped me grow and understand uh, what it what it means to, uh, especially like when it comes to like being a uh, person or a BIPOC that grew up in the church and understanding like some of that struggle yeah. too, and what I can do to help as someone who is uh, white as the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, and understanding that there's a lot there's a lot that I can do and there's a lot of areas where I shouldn't get involved at all. And I think it like every like every single aspect of her she's just a really good educator. Well <laughs> and that oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so I think it is good to acknowledge as well, like our, it is our goal this year to have more uh, BIPOC and queer folk on this podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are making an effort, again, scheduling can be hard, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we are making an effort. And so we are thankful for Joe um, for doing that and also not tokenizing that, you know, I think that's also important to mention because I think some people do tokenize people, you know, and that was the issue with Joe with all those other people was she was being tokenized. And so... Um, you know, we are making an effort to do more, even though we do have some diversity on this podcast as it is, doesn't mean that we are perfect nor fully diverse as, uh, we could be and should be in many ways. Right. Did I say that right? Yeah. 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 I think so. Well, uh, Jake, you want to take us to our, um, next, next segment? Oh yeah. Uh, this is a little segment that we like to call, uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun 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 Fucking news! Fucking news! No, 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 I already did that news. one, I believe. No, you didn't do Skyrim yet. I haven't done Skyrim yet. No, okay. That one sounded yet. vaguely Batman to me. I don't think that's what it was, but... No, that 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 one is coming up next, and it'll sound a little like, here's a preview. No. Fucking news. Fuck. <laughs> or if you... Something in the fucking news. <laughs> Something's in my ass. That's not the news, that's, by the way. That's the best news. <laughs> that's the best news. That, that's the best. That's the best version of that song. Yeah, Something in my ass. So good. Mm. Yeah, like that plays in my head, and now the ooh, I'm a bumblebee. That yeah, that one. one. I love. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the fucking news that has nothing to pertain to uh, current TikTok trends, but uh, current trends going on in our fucking U.S. government. What the fuck? 
Oh yeah. So a yeah. <laughs> couple of quick articles that I just think are fun. I'm not. We're not going into them. I'm just going to read the headline. Uh, first on April 26th, Florida man asks schools to ban Bible following the state's efforts to remove books. Um, yes, you heard that right. A Florida man is asking schools to ban the Bible. Um, so this is now my new favorite um, Florida man news article. Mm-hmm. Um, other one, Lucian Greaves, the uh, one, the co-founder of the Satanic Temple. Um, tweeted a story about Kenneth. Mm. Not our Kenneth, but this guy, Kenneth Seacrest, or Secrest, uh, it has Christ in it. Seneth? Seneth? Jesus Christ. Hold on. Let me just re like recycle my brain. Boop. There it is. All right. So it's Kenneth a spirit Seacrest. of Christ. Yeah, it's the spirit of Kenneth. Yeah. So he is the president of the Board of Education in York County, Pennsylvania, and he felt that it was within his authority to overturn established constitutional law last week, uh, and this was, I don't fucking know, this was the same week, so April 23rd, so the week before that, um, to deny facilities access to the after-school Satan Club, and he now asks for all of our prayers via Facebook. Mm. Of course it's Facebook. Yeah. So, um, that is uh, just the two quick ones. Next one, um, if you have been anywhere online over the last week and a half by the time this article comes out, you probably have already heard about this, but we're going to talk about it because it's important. Um, So, if you did not hear, and I will put this link in there, of course, as always, um, Politico had a leaked, uh, found a leaked draft from the Supreme Court of the United States of America, which is voting to overturn Roe versus Wade. Yay. And essentially it would lead it would leave um, abortion uh, access and all that stuff to the states instead of to you know, instead of making it not illegal on a federal level. So yeah. That happened. And that's probably, like, the big thing that, like, it's been blowing up. I haven't seen a single person, like, I've rarely seen a single person not talk about this. Because it's, like, Roe v. Wade has been in effect for how long now? Like, since... 70s, right? 70s, yeah. So this this is almost, like, or bordering 50 years later. Yep. Uh, where now, now it's we're going to be starting to overturn this law that has been in effect since. Well, this is a law that has been in effect uh, since before, like either the majority of any. That that's the thing. It's the majority of anyone who's alive right now. It's the majority of their lives. This law has been in effect. Like the amount of people that could say that it like actually like affected before this was passed. They're all like any anyone that it would actually af- affect back then. They would be like in their sixties and above. Yeah. Yeah. Or, God, I hope that it would only affect, before this law was passed, that it would only affect people who are 60 and above. But, uh, yeah. Like, again, this, like, Roe v. Wade is 
something that's been a part of U.S. history for so long that it's it's not like it's something that's vile that needs to be changed. This is something that everyone agreed on, or at least the Supreme or was it Supreme Court that uh, agreed upon it in the first yeah. place? Yeah. So it was the Supreme Court fifty years ago. They agreed that this particular issue should be put into practice, like put into law. I mean, I don't... This this makes it so that the entire U.S. should have access to abortion, at least at some degree. And to know that so many people are trying to fight for the abolition of this law is just sickening and it goes to show how many people really do not know like how like how many people this law does affect how many people this law helps how many people this law has saved literally saved i mean i think it's important to first acknowledge the people who are trying to get this to be to, to pretty much ban abortions. Mm-hmm. They're not normally the most sane people that I have spoken with. It's, I mean, it's why, why, why else, like, the pro-life movement has one thing, <clears throat> that life begins at conception, which is a very, and it's not even a historical Christian idea, mm-hmm. but it is a very it's modern... It's a recent Christian idea. Yeah, yeah. It's a very recent Christian idea that actually only came up in the 70s. Like, it, like before then... Most churches didn't give a shit. Like the Baptists, for example. Southern Baptists were actually pro-abortion. Yeah. They didn't do it until Jerry Falwell and other dumb fucks like him were like, oh, hey, this is a Republican issue, and if you're going to be a good Christian, you got to be a Republican, which means you got to be anti-abortion. And so they came up with the term pro-life. It's just all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things I think is really important to talk about when we're discussing the possibility of Roe v. Wade being struck down is the very real consequences that this will have. Um, It's not just going to mean that women don't have access to abortion. We're going to see a rise in women who are killing themselves. We're going to see a rise in abuse in many ways. Um, Less women, or not just women, people with uteruses in general are going to... uh, graduate from high school and college less. There's going to be a rise in poverty levels. The foster care system is going to be flooded with children who they don't have homes for. Oh, don't worry though. Sean Fucked said that, you know, we're going to see the biggest rise in adoptions. Don't worry about that. Yeah. One. Uh, the Shut baby the fuck <laughs> off. Like, That's what I tweeted. Oh, out. man. I know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, there's literally an industry of selling babies, and that industry will boom because, like, there has actually been a baby shortage in this industry, and that's, like, these infants are commodities to people. It's it's awful. And, yeah, we'll see a rise in probably infant side, like, because people don't have access to the resources. Well, I mean, even then, looking through history, it's... uh, just because abortions become illegal, like the legality of abortions doesn't mean that there are less abortions. It just means that more people are dying from them because they're not safe. Having it be legal or have it at least be legal on a federal level makes it so that there can be accessibility, uh, you know, for people to be able to 
get the care that they need, right? Um, and if it's not legalized, then that means they cannot go to a good health care provider to be able to get what they need. And there's various reasons why someone with a uterus may be wanting an abortion. I do not have a uterus, so I cannot speak as much into that besides what I've read um, and what I've heard and what I've, you know, as I've listened to people. But, like, it, there's so many different reasons why that is. And it's, at the end of the day, it's just all about controlling a woman's body. Like, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit about the babies. Like, if, like, fucking Sean Foyt and Rick Warren is like, well, if every Christian were to, in the country of the United States of America, were to freaking adopt a baby, we wouldn't have anyone in the foster care system. Yeah, well, if you guys really actually wanted to adopt people, it would have been done already. Mm. But you obviously don't. And also, to adopt a kid, it's both expensive and incredibly difficult, and it's not guaranteed. And also, if a lot of the parents who adopt are horrible fucking parents and cause more trauma, or foster care system causes an immense amount of trauma because people aren't informed on how to raise someone with high levels of trauma. So it's like, no matter what, your system of this fucking fo- of the foster system is bullshit. Yeah, it's also just going to hurt the older kids in the foster care system because, like yep. you said, it's adopting babies. People want yep. babies. Yeah. Which is gross for so many reasons. Yes. Exactly. I mean, oh my god, uh, and the the fact that really bothers me is if you look at the su- Supreme Justices that are uh, for the abolition of of Roe v. Wade, you'll see men, yeah, men, cis men. And since the news did come out, I do think it's important to acknowledge that there was a Supreme Court justice. I'm not pulling up the article because. I don't want to have to go through all my emails where I saw it. I think it was from the morning brew. That's where I saw it this morning. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the Supreme Court justices um, went on record and said this wasn't what they told us when they said they wanted us to sign on this bill. They didn't say that they were trying to ban it. They said they were trying to do something else. And so the people who are trying to get it to go forward, to in, in the, and this is just a draft, so this isn't for sure. Mm-hmm. But the draft is still scary. Um, however, it does sound like there are, is not, that people aren't being fully, like, they're not, they're not being fully informed, which, granted, again, this is just a draft. So anyone who did say that they are for um, repealing Roe v. Wade can very well, in the next few months, decide that they're, they're not going to repeal it. So people can change. Um, that, that is hopeful because that gives time, you know. And with all of the bad publicity that's been given, who knows, that may play a part into it. I don't know. Um, it's still scary, and it is also not okay because this is just violence on women. That's all it is. It's just violence, or sorry, violence on people with uteruses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we said, this is just a draft. Nothing is finalized yet, so there is very much still things that we can be doing. Um, you can go to protests and rallies. There's going to be one in our area that we're hopefully going to be attending. Um, You can donate to organizations that support people with uteruses, specifically in abortions, like Planned Parenthood is amazing. Yep. Which, they're the one who's doing the rally. So I know that they're only doing it in Orange County in Santa Ana, uh, the Saturday after this podcast releases, but um, check your local Planned Parenthood and see if they have any rallies that are happening in your area. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that, especially if 
Roe v. Wade is struck down, if you are a person with a penis who is sexually active and does not want kids or your partner does not want kids, get a vasectomy. That's honestly the best way that people with penises can support women with, like, people with uteruses is when we don't have access to yeah. abortions is just preventing that for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw a thing where a today where a vasectomy costs $25, whereas getting a hysterectomy costs, I think, $25,000, and they have to get their husband's permission. That actually, you don't have to get your husband's permission okay, anymore, but like, yeah, that, that was a, that did used to happen. Um, sometimes you need to have already have a kid to have a hysterectomy. Vasectomy and hysterectomies are irreversible. Vasectomies are totally reversible. Mm -hmm. And they're not, it's not a very painful procedure. It's, you would be uncomfortable, like it would hurt for a few days, but it's not yeah, like. I've, I've heard it's incredibly painful the days after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's not like, it's not like yeah. childbirth. Yeah. I, I don't, I've never had a vasectomy, nor have I ever given children or had birth to children. So I can't say the yeah. pain either. And think about the benefits. You just. Yeah. You don't have to work on them, You bro. just don't have to... You, right. Well, I mean, you could still do that if you want to be a really work. cool guy and, and uh, prevent STDs. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, I mean... I think you're like... Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Or you can raw dog it consensually. Um, but... Also get tested for STIs. Yeah, yeah yes. cool. You can get tested. Yeah. Yeah. But also... who does that. Yeah. So go, you know. Also, if you are uh, scared to get a vasectomy, I'm not I'm not saying that everyone on, on the planet should go out and get their vasectomies today, like a vaccine, which you should go get a vaccine and a booster. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about being sexually active and you don't want... And you don't want kids or the possibility of kids, then... A vasectomy is probably going to be the right choice for you, and if you don't, and if you're scared that you might change your mind later, it's okay. It I, like like we said, it's reversible because, and I know that because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't reversible. It's something that I talked about on like one of the very earliest episodes of the podcast. That's right, you did, you did, yeah, yeah, and so our like yeah, generally it is. For those of you who are listening, who may live in states um, where it are where they already have um, harmful rhetoric and legislation that is anti-abortion um, or anti-choice, uh, our heart goes out to you, and that is really scary. I do recognize my privilege in living in California, um, where our governor, although he kind of is a piece of shit at times. Um, he did say that he will continue to fight for our freedom and ensure our freedom, even if this does go through, uh, for people with uteruses to be able to have access to abortions here. And so I am thankful for that. Um, but I do recognize that that is a privilege for us in California and in other states that are more progressive. Yeah. And if you are someone that, if you are a religious person, uh, who is listening to this and you believe that, uh, uh, how are these kids going to have the chance to come to salvation of God? You're actually doing them a favor by killing them off early before they can sin. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, and it's our humor to finish it off. 
And also, uh, you know, the Bible is actually very pro-abortion in many ways. Yeah. Just fucking read the Old Testament. There are many counts of infanticide. infanticide? infanticide. Which yeah. is not the same as abortion. No, it's not. But there are also many instances of abortion. Yes. So, mm-hmm. there, I think there's even a Levitican law. I couldn't find it the other day. I was looking for it. Mm-hmm. It's either there or in Numbers. It's in, like, one of the, it's in the Pentateuch, if well, I remember correctly. Well, in regardless, the Bible does say that life begins with first breath, which is not conception. It's true. Yeah. So... There kind of goes the pro-life argument. Yeah, the Jew, like the Jewish, you know, where we come from, Jews, you know, like that's where Christian Christianity yeah. comes from. Like the Jewish people are all very pro-choice. Um, so and so are and so are is so is Islam. Like Muslims are very pro-choice too. So it's like, again, this even the be- Puritans were pro-choice. Yes, it didn't become an issue until the Quiverful movement and like the whole like families movement. Which again, you can literally track all this throughout history. And it all makes sense when you look at it through history. The Republicans were losing or were trying to get, like, certain things going because they are trying to just go against literally, like, people like Hillary Clinton and shit. Well, Clinton was later, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it's like, it's all just, or the, the conservative Christians, fundamentalists, don't realize that they have just been pawns to the Republican Party since the 1920s. At least. And it is very comical reading that and sad. Yeah. So. Anyway, did 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 that was the fucking news. Yeah, yeah fuck, fuck, fuck you, Supreme Court, right now. Yeah. So um, uh, on our next part, <laughs> on a more um, I guess hopeful maybe I don't know, Bonnie, you had a Kenneth story, right? I do have a Kenneth story. Um, well, to be fair. This was not an interaction that I had personally, because okay. I I would have handled the situation a little differently. Uh-huh. But uh, Kenneth is involved with the the Christianity Club at the school I attend. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like certain Christians do, they like to go out and recruit people. And also just not know what they're talking about while doing uh-huh. so. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, most Christian. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was hanging out on campus trying to, like, get people to come over. And he sees my friend walking across campus. And she's, she's a cutie. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, if I saw her walking, too. You'd get by panic. A little bit. Yeah. Um, So, you know, he called her over and he started, like, asking her to join the club and her experiences with faith. And she wasn't really raised in the church. She doesn't have much experience or knowledge. Um, So she's just like, okay, whatever. And then he asks her, he's like, what what were Jesus and the disciples? It starts with a C. Okay, can we guess this? Yes, go ahead. What were Jesus and the uh, disciples? Uh, The answer Oh, cunts? Okay. Uh, I was going to say cum. Because everything <laughs> everything has come, if you think about it. Uh, everyone on Earth, is you're at least 50% cum. Um, and uh, I will say, uh, trees, yeah. trees, think about it. Bees pollinate them, be cum. But also, be, trees, trees are sap, cum. Tree sap. Tree sap, even more cum. Like, you look at everything, and then you're like, oh, but what about the walls? Your walls are made of wood. Wood is made of trees. That's cum. <laughs> you look at 
You look at light. Uh, light is just come from the sun. That's what it is. Everything is come. Fucking shit. Anyway, I didn't mean to derail this kind of story. Okay, I'm. Oh I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> um, you're child. You're just someone's semen pet. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> derailed this way too much. Okay, the answer he was looking for was Christian. Oh! Champions. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Je- Jesus, Jesus was a Christian? Damn. Yeah, that's actually the correct response because Jesus was in fact not mm-hmm. a Christian. Neither were the disciples. Like, that's... Yeah. They, they were Jewish. Yeah. Uh... And my friend, you know, was not raised in the faith, so she didn't know. She was just like, okay. As she was telling me the story, I was like, hold the fuck up. Like, does, does the Christianity Club really not understand some of the basic facts of Jesus' life? Mm-hmm. Period. Because that actually explains a lot. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, she was just kind of trying to get out of the conversation. So, what does Kenneth do? He asks for this 19-year-old's number. That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, she's a cutie. I can't blame him. However... Ugh. Hey, we, you know, at APU, we used to say for to convert. And by we, I mean, that was mostly a joke by me and my friends. But a lot of people did try to flirt to convert. Yeah, a lot of people convert during, like, for marriage. Yeah. It's fucking nasty. It's like, aha, you're... They look at them as, like, a prize they can win if they're a good enough Christian. That's that's what I see. It's like, uh, oh, hey, you're cute, but I can't date you until you convert to Christianity. I'm not valuing you for who you are right now. I'm just seeing the shape in front of me and what I can manipulate it to be. Mm-hmm. Fucked up. Yeah. Sounds a lot like Christians in general. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. That was the end of the story. (laughs) Unless there was anything else. No. That was it. Alright. Well, that was fun. This episode was heavy. So, at this moment, if you're listening to this, and you can, close your eyes real quick. Take a deep breath. Alright, so now let's go into our last segment, our Petty Prayers with Gabe. Lord, I pray for a ten plagues of Egypt-style reckoning on, on Vladimir Putin, on the GOP Supreme Court justices, and on our nation's leaders who continue to do nothing to protect the rights of its citizens. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen. Okay, now I want you to close your eyes again (laughs) and imagine that we're all connected. We're all connected under one umbrella, and that umbrella is come. Everything is come. (laughs) <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I'm gonna apologize to your mom for you. Yeah, I'm sorry, mother. <laughs> mother, deepest apologies. And also to uh, Bonnie's mom. Not mine, because again, she doesn't listen to this podcast. If you do, and this is the first episode you ever listen to, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm gonna send this one to her. Oh no. Yeah. I'm in trouble, aren't I? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Angsty Christian Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Angsty Christian Pod. And if you really, really like our show and you want to support us, make sure to go over to our Patreon. Thanks, and, Mom. Yeah, thank you, Mom. And become one of our backers. And if you would like to email us about literally anything, you hate us, you like us, you want to be with us, whatever, I don't care, email us at angstychristianpodcast at gmail.com. Also realize when I said that, it sounds like you want to be in a relationship with us. Well, two of us are single, but please don't. That's weird. I'll hold your hand. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um, all music is done by Brad Tsushima. He is a homie. Thank you so much, Brad. We love you.